ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Chris Ryan. Hello, America. Hello, Christopher. We were just talking about uh, the pussy whip phenomenon. We were talking about men who have wives that answer their phones, their cell phones. <laughs> not, Hello? Not to be helpful, yeah. like, no. you know, secretarial, hey, let me get your phone. So I'm wondering if there are dudes who get off on that. Oh, yeah. They have a mommy that takes right. care of them. This guy's kind of like that. He, his wife, uh, I called. And it was the first time I'd ever called him before off of this new number. And I think she didn't have the number. Mm. And so she answered it like accusatory, like, hello? Like yeah. it was like I was doing something wrong. Like, Explain I was some, yourself. Some dirty girl calling her man. Who the fuck is this? <laughs> I was just man. like, hi. I wish dirty girls called me. <laughs> you just got to put your number on the internet. <laughs> They'll call you. Okay. They yeah. have questions. I get, I get some dirty emails sometimes. I prefer that. That's good. Because that you can control. Yeah, and yeah. you don't know if you're being catfished, though. Might be a dude. It's all right as long as they're a nice picture. I don't give a shit. <laughs> give me a fantasy. I'm reading a novel. It's like you're reading the words of a yeah, character that someone's exactly. created. Do it well. You know, yeah. I don't care. I'm never going to meet you anyhow. And men would know what men would actually be interested in. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I had uh, Bailey J on my podcast recently. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. who she is? Yeah, she's coming on mine soon. Oh, good. She's she's wonderful. I, I really like her. And she was like, I think she said her husband's straight. Well, let's explain who Bailey oh, J is. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Bailey J is a trans woman, a uh, chick with a dick, who yeah, doesn't give a shit a what pronoun you use. But she's, she does. Oh, she got upset at Gavin McGinnis because Gavin was calling her a he. Did she really? Yeah. Oh, well, with, that's his words, though. Oh, uh, with me, she because I, I asked her about that, and she was like, I don't give a shit. She was really relaxed and funny. That's See, Gavin says that, but there could have been some other things. Maybe he was being a dick, you know? Very possible. Yeah. He's the only guy I've ever had on the podcast where two of my friends called me up after the podcast and went, that's not true. This guy, this is not what happened. Let me tell you. Uh, Kurt Metzger and Jim Norton both called me up uh, complaining that what he said wasn't true. Uh, so he's a he's an interesting cat, that Gavin. Do you know who he is? It names ring a, rings a bell, but I, I've got a picture of him, but I can't remember who he is. He was one of the original founders of Vice, and they they call him the godfather of the hipster movement because he dresses like like a really sharp dressed guy from like the 1940s or something like that. <laughs> he wears like vests and ties uh, and tailored suits and has this crazy facial hair. That's, and, yeah, okay, mm -hmm. I've seen that, yeah. And, yeah. you know, dresses really nice and he's super like, he's on the right wing side of things, like very conservative mm. in a lot of ways and he became a Catholic when he was like in his 40s. There's a lot of weird shit going on with that. For a woman? Was it one um, of those? Things? No, he was already married with kids, and he he described it. It was a very weird thing. He said that he was like looking at his daughter's foot, and he realized that his, like he's his looking at his daughter's heel. He realized that there's a god. I'm sure, given more time, he would like to express himself a little more clearly in that regard. But um, I have a feeling that a lot of these, there's a lot of these right wing people that are um that go pro religion where it doesn't make sense where they're they're like super uh, analytical and rational and uh, kind of calculated about other things but then when it comes to religion they just completely give in and don't question it and just i i feel like it's an affiliation thing mm. i feel like if you want to be affiliated with the right you have to be religious mm. and i think that they recognize that and so they support because they know that if you do that if you blindly affiliate yourself with with religion and if you if you want to be like sort of in, ingrained in the right you kind of have to be religious there's very few people 
that are conservative or on the right that are atheists or agnostics. Right. And you're right. There's much more unity on the right. The left, mm -hmm. everybody's stabbing each other in the back, which is why assholes rule the world, essentially. They stick together. And well, it's, it's disturbing to me. And I've got some uh, people coming up, some interesting podcast guests that are going to talk about it. And I talked about it with Dave Rubin recently, where he calls it. And, you know, Dave's an interesting example because he is a gay man who is uh, very – he's across the board on a lot of different issues. He's like – He's he's pro Second Amendment. He's you know he's like he's re re relaxed and analytical, and uh, he calls it the regressive left. And he's like it's almost like they've been fighting against the right so long they've become their own version of that. Mm. They've been fighting against like the religious right or the super ultra conservative regressive right that they've become the regressive left. And I think he's got some good points in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I I, I try to get away from thinking left right you know mm -hmm. because to me it's more tolerant intolerant mm -hmm. and you know since sex of dawn came out i i expected a lot of blowback from the right and actually most of the blowback we've received has been from the left really yeah from really yeah because all the political correctness you know mm -hmm. oh you're a cisgendered white male with your you know mansplaining blah 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 mansplaining. you know <laughs> you know what mansplaining <laughs> <I> is <do. laughs> please you... tell, tell people that don't know though well I it's, love it's it. like the the arrogant guy who explains everything knows everything you know well if you explain things and you're a and man, you're, a man. you're mansplaining you know what i was thinking about recently and i don't want to get into like a, a men's rights thing mm -hmm. you know cuz i mean <sighs> And there's there's a lot to be said there. But anyway, I was thinking about man spreading. You know what oh, that the, is? Yeah, on the subways and right. stuff. Right. You sit yeah. with your legs open, you take mm -hmm. up too much space. Here's the problem with that. A, men are generally bigger than women. Mm -hmm. B, men have balls. Mm -hmm. Where are we supposed to put our balls? If you can't spread <laughs> with your legs, where do your balls go? Well, the idea is that you're being rude, though, because you're, you should like keep your balls compressed so that the people next to you aren't... <laughs> You know, they aren't I, encroached upon, you but, know, yeah. invade their space. Well, I'll space. tell you what, my balls are getting encroached upon, and that's uh, got a, a very immediate effect. Right. I, I think there design the seats the left, better. That's true, but the, meanwhile, the seats are what they are. Yeah. And so for a very short amount of time, just think of it as an exercise in your, your inner thigh development. Just keep them pinched <laughs> and work on like an isometric tension sort of a thing. Yeah. I would think I think about it like putting someone in my guard, like I'm trying to hold a triangle. Right. So I keep my legs closed. Well, look, I'll go with it if it becomes socially acceptable for me to put my hand down my pants and pull my balls up before I cross my legs. Mm. You know, I think you should just do that. Well, I do do that, yeah. but you know, it freaks. Then I shake their hand. Uh, and people get all freaked out. You yeah. should have like a ball grabbing glove, like that you could just sort of <laughs> slip like, on. slap it, snap. I'm about to. <laughs> Give myself a prostate exam. This is only so that when I shake your hand, you know. That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's the design sucks. The design of the male body. Like the balls on the outside is really stupid. I think it's the design of the fucking seats. I, I'm fine with my balls. But I so mean, kicks where they the balls. are. Oh, like that. So, it's yeah. so vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, from a from a fighter's perspective, yeah, it's your a bad balls design. are like the most vulnerable part of your body next to your brain, and they're right well, there. You know why they're there, right? Keep it cool. Keep them cool, right? Yeah. So that your boys are ready to roll at a moment's notice. You've always got. I in sex Dawn, we say the external scrotum is the equivalent of a beer of a uh, fridge in your garage full of beer. 
<laughs> so you got a spare fridge. It's always ready to go because you never yeah. know when the guys are coming over to watch the game. You got to have a couple of cases cool and ready to go. Right. You can't just pop your nuts out when you're thinking about having sex later on that night and let right. your sperm cool off. It's, but still, another shitty design. Like why? Why? You know? And it's on every animal. Like every mammal has balls in the outside. Well, no, not everyone. Like gorillas, they're in the abdomen. Actually, what? yeah, yeah. They have such tiny dicks. Uh, tiny little dicks. And see, that's why, because, but the male gorilla is twice the size of the female. I didn't know their balls were in their abdomen, because yeah. chimps are hanging out. Chimps are out, bonobos are out, and they're mm -hmm. huge. Giant. They're like chicken eggs. Yeah. That's because they're, the females are promiscuous. Yeah. So you got the, right. the balls outside the body, that's an indication of female promiscuity in the species. Oh, I knew it was the size of the testicles was an indicator of female promiscuity. Right. I didn't know the balls outside the body. Right. So ladies, if you don't like our mansplating, how about you stop being whores? <laughs> and if you weren't, we won't manspread. If you weren't hoeing around, we wouldn't need our balls on the outside. Yeah. We could suck our balls up into our abdomen if you girls just keep your fucking legs shut. How about that? Do you ever see a yogi do that? Oh, no, they do that? Oh, they yeah, suck they their balls suck into their, their balls body? Up, yeah. Have you seen it? No. I don't think it exists. Yeah. Jamie, find out it. if a guy can pull... Yeah, I read it too. There used to be a thing about Weichiru Karate. Like Weichiru guys, supposedly yeah. they would have these katas. And in the kata, they would be able to suck their balls up <laughs> into their body to, to prevent them yeah. from getting kicked. Yeah. I've never seen it. I feel like I would have saw it already. I'm not like... a big fan of any ball sucking, actually. None? Well, no, because it, it hurts. Well, if a girl does it gentle, if she's good at it, and she's got like the the upward stroking thing while she's sucking on your sack, oh. it's not a bad thing. Joe, dude. I've I've never popped a Woody on the show before. <laughs> <laughs> Some gals have skills. That's all I'm trying to say. The, you know, it's like we're not all created equal. Whether it's basketball or yeah. painting or dick sucking, where are they? Some did people this... are artists. We started this. Well, you said something about. What? Never try to follow the, yeah, go, the chain. Go back. Yeah, go back. Just follow it, the breadcrumbs. Let crumbs. it roll. Well, because, I mean, for some reason, five minutes ago, the thought, I had the thought, like, I remembered some gay guy saying to me, like, gay guys give better blowjobs than women do. Or maybe he was bi. Oh, we were talking about someone sending you a letter catfishing you, pretending to be a, a woman when they're really a man. Oh, and, 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 and you said it's a, if it's a yeah. dude, he knows what gets you off, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That reminded me of this thing. And I was thinking like, yeah, I'll bet, I'll mm -hmm. bet dudes give great blowjobs. I would imagine. Yeah. And women, lesbians report much higher orgasmic frequency than straight women do. Hmm. And it's the same thing, right? Like a woman knows how to go down on a woman where guys are just like, well, I don't know what to do. Well, I do here. <laughs> do I blow on it? <laughs> yeah, I, it makes sense. But that's isn't that like a communication thing? Like you tell people what you like and why it feels good. Yeah. Some people are just not good at communicating sexually. It's, in, it's interesting because it's like one of the few things that people can be like really embarrassed about communicating about was like people tell you what kind of what colors they like. Right. You know, I don't like a couch that's white. Yeah. My car has got to be black. You know, like people yeah. have weird rules when it comes to like things that they enjoy. But when it comes yeah. to sex, they're really it's really hard for people to express what they enjoy. Yeah. I, I had dinner last night with a sex therapist and we were talking oh, about that. Shit. And she's like, she was like, you know, I've got people come in. They've been married 25 years and. They've never talked about like what position works, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, that she doesn't like it when you do that. Mm -hmm. And you've been doing it 25 years thinking yeah. she gets off on this it. This is her thing. Yeah. <laughs> the cunt punch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It's a weird thing, sex. You know, it's weird. You wanting someone to touch your body in a way that's pleasurable, and it really is sort of ultimately based about around reproduction. I mean, that's what the whole feeling and sensitivity is ultimately about naturally or yeah. nature-wise. Yeah. I mean, we argue in Sex at Dawn that, that in humans, sexuality got co-opted mm. away from reproduction towards social uses. Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. Yeah. But originally, you're right. I mean, that's yeah. why the, all the nerve endings are there and, you know, all that business. But even that, like, you could argue that the having it been co-opted and having it move away from just being about reproductive, uh, just the, the, the pleasure being tied into being uh, a reproductive mechanism, it's still about reproductive, even if it's socially, because in the social thing, it's one part of a greater pattern of things that's set in place to make sure that you have the preferred mate. You know, like socially as well, like seeing how someone interacts with someone socially, seeing how someone, all those things are like sort of set up this like very complex dance of interaction mm. between men and women where you're trying to figure out like what is the best case scenario for someone that you're going to get together with, that you're going to establish some sort of a really intense relationship and bond with. And the most intense, at the, ultimately, at least the, the, most, um, uh, the most committed is having a child that you have to take care of together. You know, because then you're not just committed to it in the sense of I love you and you love me, but now we have to take care of people, mm. you know, and so now we have to sort of abandon our own needs to take care of these people as well. And we've kind of gotten this position by virtue of our being able to socially jive with each other. Yeah, I, I would argue and have argued that in hunter-gatherer times, that sort of nuclear family thing that you're positing the you know, mother, father, child, mm. is much more fluid. And so women weren't really that concerned about uh, a mate in that sort of long-term sense. You're talking about like tribal situations? Right. Yeah, foragers, yeah. Uh, right. which is 95% or more of our existence as a species, right? So it's so what I argue in, in Sex of Dawn is that it's, it, there's more dispersed responsibility for child care that food is shared, that defense is shared, mm. everything's shared. And that really freaks out 20th century and 21st century Western scientists because it smacks of communism, mm -hmm. you know. But that's simply the fact. If you look at hunter-gatherers that still exist or, um, you know, even bonobos, right, one of the primates most closely related to us, they share food, mm -hmm. very uh, egalitarian, right? And uh, so I think that the, the woman... A woman's admiration for a man isn't necessarily sexual attraction for the man. So she might be fucking a dude who's actually genetically more compatible with her, but, you know, she spends more time with another guy. And you see that played out in marriages now. Like a woman will marry a Hugh Grant kind of dude, but when she's ovulating, she'll go out and fuck a Brad Pitt looking dude, mm. you know, square jaw, testosterone indications, mm. right? Because the the vigor of his uh, genetics turns her on when she's ovulating. When she's not ovulating, she finds it kind of vulgar and she's more into the other dude. Mm. So, like, women's taste is really interesting. This woman uh, tweeted something the other day and I, I responded to it. It was really interesting. She's uh, an author and she was saying uh, that women 
uh, like men complain that sometimes when men and women are together for long periods of time that the woman no longer wants to have sex. Right. She goes, well, why is it so obvious to men that they want genetic diversity, right? They want to spread their seed. But when a woman is done with your DNA, like she's already had kids with you. She's going to want dick from other dudes. Like right. it makes sense that she would want other DNA. Like, why would it be that she would only want kids from one man? Right. And she said, I, she Googled it and she couldn't find it anywhere. And I think actually you and I had discussed this once, like this idea, but it totally makes sense, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, genetic diversity is a, bi a big thing. I think I just pulled out my- Did you? Oh, that earplug? Um, we'll figure it out, Jamie. It's, does it pop right in there? I just moved my foot and something popped Oh, there. it connects over there. Sorry, folks. No worries. Um, they didn't know. I didn't even know. Yeah, Only you can hear. I just heard it good. Crazy. Good, yeah. Uh, what are we talking about? Uh, the uh, genetic d diversity. Yeah. Yeah. The, did I ever tell you about the, the goat study? The goat sheep study? I'm not it's sure. It's a great one. It's in, uh, it was took place in Scotland. And do you need a light? No. All right. Um, they wanted to understand this sort of like how males and females differ in their adapt adaptation to... Uh, like how they their how they imprint sexually. So what they did was they took the babies, all the babies born one year from the sheep herd and put them in the goat herd. And then they took all the baby goats and put them in the sheep herd. Oh yeah, we did talk we about that. So yeah. Yeah. in the end the males were fixed, right? They would only have sex with the one that they had grown up with, but the females were like whatever, put me with the goats, I'll fuck the goats, put me with the sheep, I'll fuck the sheep, I don't care. <laughs> So there's, there's just this fluidity in female sexual response that in males you don't have. Hmm. And we talk, I think last time I was on, we talked about fetishes mm -hmm. and how like almost all fetishes are men. Yeah, I'm going to get that girl on. That's Sierra. Is that her name? Sierra Lynch? Yeah. Oh, you're going to yeah. have her on? Yeah. We're gonna, She's great. I, I need to hear about the humiliation and all the crazy <laughs> shit that she has these guys Thanks, pay her to do it just sounds so bizarre yeah i need to hear about this but she's, um she's you know like you're talking about the porn star earlier mm -hmm. uh, not this year as a porn star per se but she's so sweet and mm -hmm. nice and like i'm would, sure you know she's just really she's probably just unrepressed as well you know i mean she's just she her life is so bizarre yeah. in, in comparison to the average person that sometimes i think we have all these like self-imposed borders that we put on our behavior, and I think that's one of the reasons why someone like her exists. Like you're a release valve right. for all this pressure, this uh, this uh, repression that a lot of it is self-imposed, and yeah. so they try to find some sort of an outlet for all their kinky, weird shit that that really builds up, almost like a residue of our mundane, suppressed society. Yeah, and it builds up. Precisely because it's repressed, right? Yeah. If, like that's what this sex therapist last night was saying to me. It's like if if people have a way to um, express this energy, then it doesn't become problematic because it doesn't build up. It's mm -hmm. you know like if dude wants to dress up in women's clothes or whatever, and his wife's cool with it. Like every once in a while he dresses up and like okay, whatever, that's cool. But if she would freak out. It starts to become a big issue in his life. Right. Last time I was on, I think we talked about. Um, a, I had to have this theory of how some people have like a homosexuality fetish. Yes. As opposed to being born homosexual. Right. Dude, I must have gotten thirty or forty emails from men after that saying, "Dude, that's me." You, oh, I've never wow. heard anyone describe that. That's me. And now I'm getting a lot of. Um, I've gotten several really moving emails from. Uh, 
men who are attracted to kids. Ooh. And you, what they're saying is like, look, I, you know, I know you, you sympathize with people who can't help what they feel, right? Which is true. I feel this. I don't ever want to act on it. I don't want to ever do anything. But I can't tell anyone. I can't go to a therapist because they, by law, have to, like, turn me in. The culture's wow. so, like, freaked about anything around, you know, sex and kids mm -hmm. that we're shooting ourselves in the foot because we're not giving these guys a way to, to let some of that energy vent off. Well, know? we have to, I think we have to admit that there's something going on in the mind that causes this. And yeah. they have to figure out what that is. Well, almost like, always it's guys who got abused themselves. Did you, these guys say that? Were they they saying yeah. that? Yeah. So what is it when you get abused as a child, like it triggers something in you and then that, that becomes attached to sexuality? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, I'm... I haven't done any research, original research. I've read a lot of papers, right? So take it for what it's worth. But my feeling is that it's like what we talked about last time with fetishes, that you have there's a, a developmental period uh, for boys somewhere between five and ten years of age where an experience can imprint on you permanently. And so that could be expressed as like you need to smell latex to get off or you need to, you know, be treated by humiliated by, you know, by somebody like Sierra or you know, whatever it is. And or it could be you need to like you want to have a sexual experience with a man, even though you're not gay, because you had that experience when you were seven and that, you know, imprinted on you. Mm. Um, and uh, so and that's what that goat sheep thing is about. Right. They wanted to say they wanted to understand, like, is this a male mammalian thing? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they're looking at different species where, yeah, these males, even though they're goats, they were with sheep when they came of age sexually and for the rest of their lives, they can only fuck sheep. You know, well, what is it with women then if it's a man, a male mammalian thing? Because many women, when they're young, if they're sexually abused, they associate sex with worth and yeah. they, they become hypersexual at a very early age. They've, they, they, they're more prone to masturbating at an early age. Like, I think that's more uh, psychological with the males, I think, in. And, of course, there are many exceptions to what I'm saying. But I think with males, it's more just a question of imprint. Mm. It's there. You can't change it. So it might be latex. It might be red high heels. It might be big tits or whatever. And more of a fetish thing. Right. A fetish thing. Whereas, And so if you're sexually abused as a kid, the, the thing is, all right, you're a seven-year-old boy and your priest sucks your dick. Right? It's, it's freaky. It's bizarre. But it feels good because those nerve endings are there. No matter how weird the situation is, there's a physiological pleasure right. associated with it. So, And also, when you're seven, you don't know how weird it is. You don't right. know what's going on, right? You just know, like, wow, that felt great, and this guy likes me, and I'm special. And so it imprints on a neurological level. Whereas with girls, I think what happens is... You know, daddy's really nice to me when this happens. Daddy really likes it when I do that. And I love daddy. And so those sort of connections are made on a level oh. of personality. God damn. Yeah. It's it's heavy. But like to deal with it, we can't. You can't push this out. Pretend and it, it isn't real. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That is the issue. Right. Like, how do you uh, how do you 
mitigate that imprinting when it comes to like how they interface with society? Like how yeah. do you how do you figure out a way that you recognize the fact that they do have this issue and this issue was an imprinting issue because of sexual right. molestation as a young person and how do you, how do you how do you deal with that and uh and somehow or not i mean i wonder what if anything could fit i mean what i wonder if, if they've ever done any studies on psychedelics like really intense ones like iboga you know, things along those lines like how that reacts to people or how people react to that when they have yeah. those kind of issues well i think that's the way we need to to look because i mean i just finished writing a chapter on psychedelics in this book i'm working on now and one of the big points is that psychedelics are really good for breaking addiction and mm -hmm. addictive behavior especially iboga right iboga is great because it's so intense yeah but i mean ayahuasca is great uh, mm -hmm. psilocybin you know different but Iboga is famous for it. Yeah. The idea, I think, is that these boundary disillusioning, these boundary dissolving, rather, uh, experiences are so intense that whatever patterns you had that were there before, they've sort of been dissolved yeah. for at least at least a short period of time. You know, I, I've, I've always described uh, really intense psychedelic experiences as being like a reset button, like you're pressing control, alt, delete on your brain, and that when your brain reboots, you're left with a blank desktop with one folder in it, and that folder's labeled my old bullshit. Right. And then in that my old bullshit folder- <laughs> That's a good way to think of you, it. You have to decide, like, yeah. what do I do? Do I, do I um, look at this folder and look at it like an outsider and just try to see what is useful, if anything, about my old bullshit? Or do I fall right back into these comfortable old patterns because those are all I've known for X amount of years of my life until now? I think for a lot of people, they have these big experiences and these big breakthrough moments, and then they go, I'm going to be new, I'm going to be different, I'm going to change, and then it's too uncomfortable, and then there's too much time between that experience and the next one, and they slowly slide right back into my old bullshit. Yeah. At least... At least partially, you know, at least in some way, yeah. fall fall prey to the victim of the patterns of 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 their past. That's why it's so cool to have ritualized, uh, sort of culturally approved use, like mm -hmm. the peyote and the huichuli yeah. Indians, right? Where every year they go to the desert, and as they're going out to gather the the peyote, every night around the fire they confess everything they've done that year that was wrong mm. so they like cleanse themselves you know and then they take the peyote and they have that experience which you know i think that sort of sequential ritual um helps to seal in the the changes the benefits mm. you know whereas with us like okay you go to peru you do it you're back Mm -hmm. You know, you're back in your old patterns. Yeah, we've talked about this before, rites of passage, you know, rites of passage for, for adults that I think that these moments of celebration and ceremony that sometimes they could be like really beneficial because they, they, they physically mark like a big change in your life. Like it makes this thing, this new thing that becomes a part of your life. Yeah. It's just, my my phone has decided to transcribe everything I'm saying here. Look at this. Really? See what's going on here? <laughs> I must have said, hey, Siri. Wow. Because. I've been doing that, too. Look at this. Randomly. Yeah. What I'm talking you sure the NSA isn't turning on? No. Well, what are they going to do? Yeah. They can just listen yeah, to the they podcast. just listen and transcribe it. But um, hey, Siri has this new thing. Like, 
Like, watch, I'll show you this. This is bizarre. Like, I don't even... Excuse me, I'm talking. Um, <laughs> you're not on the microphone, you fuck. <laughs> you're not Siri. Um, I'll, I can say it into it, and when I say it into it, it'll call you. Like, hey, Siri, call Chris Ryan. My number's not going to come up, is it? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> you got more than one phone. Oh, there's a bunch of Ryans. Chris Ryan, you fuck. <laughs> like, it writes Chris Ryan, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chris Ryan, the first one, douchebag. It's funny. So, oh, there oh, it is. Bam. There it is. It listened to me. I said, the That's first nice. one. I mean, but think about all those words that I said. Yeah. The first one, douchebag. The it's one that crazy. says Chris Ryan. Like, it figured out how to do that. So, I was on stage in uh, uh, the comedy store. And I was explaining how crazy phones are now. So I said, I'm going to show you something. I made this recording. And, uh, you know, I record all my sets because I'm always working on new material and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I'm on stage and I said, now watch this. I, I go, you know, hey, Siri, call Brian Callen. And so it starts calling Brian Callen while I'm on stage. But I made a recording of this. So I'm listening to the recording in my car as I'm driving. So my car... My phone is playing in my car, the recording, through the Bluetooth, and it says in the recording, hey, Siri, call Brian Callen. So while the recording's going on, my fucking phone starts calling Brian Callen. Like, how bizarre. That's an endless loop right there. It is an endless. It's two mirrors Brian looking at Callen's each other. Callen's getting all these weird phone calls. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm putting it on airplane mode so it doesn't work. But how, how strange that, yeah. th that you can just talk to your phone now. Like, you don't even have to press a button anymore. Well, I got a nice, uh, I mean, uh, Google has these new Nexus phones. Mm. You know, I just ordered one. And the main reason I ordered it is they've also got this, I forget what it's called, FY or something. It's a... A plan that they only do with their phones where it's 20 bucks a month unlimited text and voice and then you pay I think it's 10 bucks a gig for um, data you know but it automatically picks whatever network is strongest where you are so it flips from Verizon to AT&T to Sprint whatever really? as you're moving as soon as you get home it automatically goes to your Wi-Fi it always picks Wi-Fi when possible Whoa. so it's designed to keep your bills as small as possible and here's why I got it it's the same all over the world. So I don't have, like, I've always had a Spanish phone and an American phone. Then I got an unlocked phone with two SIM cards, and I have to switch. And then the SIM card expires, you know, because mm -hmm. I haven't been to Spain for a while, and then it's a big fucking pain in the ass. This is like one phone around the world. And this is all through Google? It's all through Google, yeah. Google's. I guess Google has deals with the various... They're Skynet, dude. They're so terrifying. They're slowly but surely buying up all these Android companies. They're buying yeah. up robotics companies. They're, bu they're, they're working on artificial intelligence. They're working on drivable... Those cars. Those cars yeah. that drive themselves. Jesus Yesterday they invited fuck. me to come and speak at their headquarters and uh, wherever the fuck they are. Did they ask for your DNA? No, it's, you know what they did? You. So they asked me to come and give a talk, and I'm like, fuck yeah, Google, well, I'll go give a talk. And then we go back and forth a few times, and then the, and then I said, I'd like to bring my wife as well. She'd love to see the headquarters. And then it's like, oh, um, yeah, we don't have a budget for travel. Um, can you fly yourself to San Francisco? <laughs> Google doesn't have a fucking... I'm going to give a talk for free, right? Giving you a day of my life. And you want me to pay my flight, Google? You, you don't even have flight money? Yeah. You guys have fucking spaceship money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly.
I mean, well, I want to come under the seas. Yeah, some, maybe it was some like Google. some Google employee that wasn't, they, they weren't, you know, they didn't get Well, that's clearance. what I said. I mean, I said like, oh, I thought this was an official Google event, right? right. And uh, I don't have time, you know, if it's a thing. And he's like, no, no, this is an official event. I'm like, then, how, like are you fucking <laughs> kidding? I, I, I don't get it. It's Google. That's so retarded. <laughs> that's unbelievably retarded. <laughs> the, the fact that they would think that, that would be okay. That you would just go, yeah, I'll spend yeah, money for you. Sure. And fly to this gigantic campus that's worth <laughs> billions of dollars as you yeah. siphon up all the world's resources yeah, and man. develop the Ubermunch robot yeah. killing let me, let machine. Let me bring you lunch, you know? Like, yeah. How about I suck your dick on there, too? I mean, <laughs> I'm a man. I'm good at it. <laughs> <laughs> that's gross, I, man. I know. It's done. Well, you know, that was like the argument for, there's a lot of these like festivals, like South by Southwest, yeah. you know, that were like, they put on these gigantic gigantic festivals yeah. and they don't pay the artists mm. they don't have any money but it's owned by southwest like south by southwest like southwest airlines sponsoring the whole thing and right. they don't even fly you there i'm like you can't fly me on your own airline <laughs> to your thing where you want me to work for free you guys right. are out of your fucking mind <laughs> yeah but because yeah. it's like a big deal to be yeah. there a lot of people just say i just want to be a part of this and they go anywhere fair enough but and, and I, I'm sure you get these pitches all the time. Is, uh, what's this thing? Summit? You, yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. deal, right? You know, it's like come to the mountain or go yeah. on the cruise or whatever. Yeah. But what pisses me off is they don't tell you up front. The first four or five exchanges, you're under the impression that this is a paying gig. Right. And then when you've already talked about dates and how great it's going to be and da 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 da, then it's like, oh, buy. And they make you bring up money. You know, I mean, uh -huh. you've got an agent who does it, but you know, I was doing it myself and it's like, you know, we've been going back and forth and I have to ask you like, you know, by the way, I, you know, my standard fee is X. Oh no, this is because you get to meet all these great people. Yeah. But you're charging money for tickets. Like yeah. people have to pay to go to this thing. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm the attraction. <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> They're paying so they can meet me. Uh, yeah. Uh, so well, welcome to the future. Well, there's a lot of that going on. I mean, Jamie and I were just discussing that actually before the show started about these companies that are trying to capitalize on podcasts where mm. they're coming along and they're trying to take a piece of the action yeah. and offer some non-existent service. It's going to connect you with more fans and in, in exchange for a piece of the show. And I'm like, they're just banking on the fact that it seems good because it's a big company like there's something attached to being yeah. attached to a big company when uh, actually the contrary is true it's 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 a bad thing to be attached to a big company then you have to meet with all these people and they get to decide yeah. which direction your shit goes in and like ooh. and that summit thing man i i got an email and i think i think you were in it there was a bunch of faces on the email like are you on the website are you uh, i fucking hope not because i i said no well, I don't know, man. There was a lot of people that were on it that I was looking at that was like, what the fuck? You know, I was looking at it and I was like, this seems like very strange. Like, there's a lot of people involved in this thing. Hold on. Yeah, well, they invited me to go on this cruise, which is next week, I think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it is like they've got a lot of heavy hitters going on the cruise, right, as you know, whatever, not presenters, but it's mm -hmm. so like the, the CEO of Google's going to be there and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg or somebody, all these kind of people. Graham Hancock's on this thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. What if they told him? <laughs> he thinks he's getting paid. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of people on this thing that seem like they should be getting paid. I mean, yeah. this is a, 
I mean, it's, it's a very impressive lineup of human beings. You know, maybe they pay some of them, and I'm just mm. like not in the pay grade. You know, I don't know. Well, I don't know either, but I, I mean, I guess it would kind of make sense if it was free for everybody. Well, if you or if your your thing is about like you need to like. Like, let's say, like, Ted does this, too, right? Mm -hmm. It's all a networking opportunity. So if you're, like, a guy with an idea and you need investors, then fuck yeah. That's a great thing to do. But if you're an entertainer, you've got your own audience. Like, I mean, I'm not looking for billionaires to listen to my podcast. That's not really my demographic, you know? Yeah. So there's really nothing in it for me. Unless the billionaire is interested. But, you know, they're they're an individual at that one point in time. Yeah, yeah. That's just a person that might right. happen to be rich. Like if Richard Branson started listening to your podcast, you wouldn't be bummed out. Like, oh, that's cool. He seems like an interesting guy. Like it wouldn't be yeah. like, what an awesome opportunity to network and now pitch him my startup. Right. You know, and that's what a lot of these yeah. people are doing. Whenever I hear that term, you know, I'm involved in a startup. I just want to run in the opposite <laughs> direction. Just fucking flee. I don't even know what you just said, yeah. but I got to get the fuck away from you before you hit me with some emails about some shit that I don't give a fuck about. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I mean, I badmouth Ted, but I did uh, become very good friends with the billionaire there. Well, there you go. <laughs> and he's like, inv- I've been on his yacht a bunch of times, and it's great. You know? Well, but, there you go. And you networked. And here's the cool thing. This guy, I mean, I don't know if he's a billionaire, but he lives on a 130-foot yacht, okay, which is like has a gym. Well, that alone is probably worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, I don't know. I'm not up I on think yacht they prices. Are. But this is like a Russian oligarch kind of yacht, uh, right? Yeah. Um, no helicopter. He's got but a gym on his yacht. Is a gym. There's a sauna. There's a jacuzzi. There's a How walk-in do you freezer. In the uh, machines. Does it out? They're not free weights. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't want them rolling around. Hmm. But anyway, he made his money on wind farms. So Whoa. there's not even like bad karma. Oh yeah, that's you nice. Know? He's just and he's a really nice guy. That's nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's he's funny. He's raping he, the wind, stealing all our <laughs> he's wind, making love to the wind. All that fucking white man taking all our wind. <laughs> yeah, you know, my kid. Uh, yeah. We were uh, driving yesterday. She wanted to uh, watch Peter Pan. We went to see the movie the other day, and the movie is uh, is pretty cool. It's kind of intense, but uh, th- this is my youngest. She's five, and the movie is a little freaked out for her. A little too freaky. Like a lot, there's a lot of violence. Even mm. though it's like implied violence you kind of get it it scared her mm. a lot of mean people yelling big crocodile um so she wanted to watch the cartoon instead so i put on the cartoon and peter pan the cartoon is old as fuck right yeah. so i put it on and it is racist as fuck <laughs> like it's one of those cartoons from like whenever i mean when did they make peter pan yeah, Jamie? 50s like maybe 19 yeah a long ass time ago um but it's like they're they're going to war with the engines in this oh, they're nice. fighting engines what it, does it say uh, 53 yeah there, there you go is, yeah. well i'm a little disappointed in them 53 was a little bit more in light i was hoping it was like in the 30s <laughs> but engines. God, my god like the the you know the, the what one of the songs in it was what made the red man red you know like it was just like ooh. what did your daughter notice that it was racist she has no idea she yeah. sees cartoons just goes she's in. zoning out while we're driving her uh-huh. 
her little dance class. You know, she's not thinking about it. She's just <laughs> she's just looking at something that's more interesting than being on the road. All right. Like I'm not a huge fan of sitting the kids down in front of the TV. But there's a lot of shows that are educational. They actually learn from them. If, yeah. you, if you could uh, could put on a good educational program, they actually pick up some stuff from it. Yeah. You know, like some of the l- little kid shows that they have today, they have like little lessons that the kid can learn about, you know, how to be nice and what's the benefit about telling the truth when you made mistakes and not getting upset at people and that kind of stuff. It's kind of cool. Yeah. But uh, not those old movies. Those old movies just... It's just racism. <laughs> yeah. The whole, after World War II, there was a lot of weird shit. Like Pepe oh, yeah. Le Pew? Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. Like French people staying. <laughs> and he was a rapist. And he's a creep, yeah. He exactly. was the rapiest fucking cartoon <laughs> character ever. I mean, they, they never expressed why. He never, they never showed him fucking. Right. But he was always clinging and grabbing yeah. and hugging, and he just wanted to kiss Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> he's always just fucking... Stinky rapist. Yeah, and the, who was the other the the Dudley Do Right? Oh yeah, he was, that chick was always tied to the railroad tracks. Was Dudley Do Right the Canadian? Yeah, the yeah. Mountie who rode yeah. his horse backwards. Oh, he rode it back. And and the Lone Ranger and Tonto. You know what Tonto oh, yeah. means in Spanish? No, idiot. In Spanish, yeah. But Native American, what does it mean? <laughs> As if there's one Native American language. Well, they have some variations, but they I, have I've, like similar words. I think that they're. I think the people, the writers, were fucking with us. Mm. I think it was like Samistat, you know, the Russian thing where you slip it past the censors because right. they don't get it. That makes sense. Like the whole Batman and Robin being a gay couple. And come on, that's you know, boy wonder. The boy wonder. Yeah, he was at the first twink. Leave it to Beaver. Come yeah, on. but did they call it Beaver back then? Yeah, Beaver. I actually looked this up, <laughs> and I invite you to do it, Jamie. I invite you to prove me wrong. I looked up Beaver, and it went back to like the 1800s. Wow. Yeah, makes sense. Because Beaver back fur. Then, well, also, and girls women were weren't. Not. They weren't yeah. shaving. Yeah, that just shows you what a profound effect porn has had on our culture. Yeah, because if you see a bush today, that's a girl who's committed to fucking shaking the. She's going against the grain, or I mean, she's she, eighty. She, yeah. <laughs> or she's like Lebanese or something like that. She can't help it. She shaved a couple of days ago and she didn't think she was going to fuck today. Oh. You get the burn. Just fucking yeah. weeds growing in her panties. <laughs> it is a weird thing, though, because like until like, what was it? Maybe 15, 20 years ago, yeah. everybody had a bush. They just I, I grew up like Playboy Bush, man, and now there's no bush and there's mm-hmm. no nudes in Playboy. What's yeah. happening to this world? Find, try finding a girl today with asshole hair. Right? <laughs> try it. They don't exist. Just try They're it. changing. They're changing the DNA. Uh, it's um it's a fascinating thing that porn has literally changed the way girls groom their pubic hairs almost universally. Yeah. Like almost I mean profound change. They're like like a percentage of change, it's almost like 80, probably like 80 or 90% of women have done like at least some significant grooming down there. Maybe like yeah. leave a little landing strip or something yeah. like that, but, but let a full bush go. Full bush was the norm, right? I don't know. I mean- I, I would assume. I, yeah, I would think so. I mean, dudes weren't grooming, right? When I was in high school, I dated this girl. She was crazy. And um, she was just uh, just oh, all over the place, and uh, she was. She was like, it was like it, there was two main girlfriends that I had in high school, and uh, they're both very nice girls. There's not, nothing bad to say about them, but of one of them went to Catholic school, and she was the most fucked up. 
and uh, she just had just like massive suppression from Catholic school and just looking for an outlet. And her outlet was any boy that like showed her attention. Like it was it was good for me early on to yeah. like date a girl who's like super promiscuous because it like lowered my expectations about like girls cheating on me mm. or cheating in general. Like we kind of made some sort of an agreement somewhere along the line that we'd never be like official boyfriend and girlfriend. We'd never be boyfriend. We just hooked up and fucked a lot. Right. But uh, one time she uh, had broke up with this guy and uh, she came over to my house and uh, we were getting ready to do it, but she wouldn't take her pants off. And I go, why? What's the matter? She goes, I'm embarrassed. I go, why? She goes, my ex-boyfriend made me shave my vagina. I went, what? Let's see it. Let's see what's going on down there. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. Like she was embarrassed that I would see it and like not see her bush. Right. So it would be like freaky, like, or that she would be some sort of a pervert or a, a whack job. But now it's like standard. Yeah. It's so strange. Like I remember think like she was embarrassed because another guy I mean, she was eighteen. She's embarrassed that another guy had made her do this and then I was gonna see and I was gonna think about this other guy, but <laughs> honestly, for whatever reason, I've never been that guy. Yeah. I'm not like a jealous guy like in that way. Really? Like, like, yeah. yeah, no, I'm like, who cares? What do I give a fuck? Especially yeah. a girl that I wasn't even wasn't like you yeah. know, we were long-time boyfriend and girlfriend or anything. She was just yeah. this neighborhood freak that I liked. She was a great person. She was nice. She wasn't bad. But she just... Though I describe her to friends, like, she was like, uh, you know how a kitten, you could, like, roll a ball of yarn in front of them and they just have to dive on it? That's how she was with dick. <laughs> <laughs> You just roll your dick in front of her? For whatever reason, <laughs> that poor girl. Uh, she just everybody. I think pretty much everybody who tried to fuck her fucked her. For a while, at least. I mean, I'm sure she... See, I think a girl like that should be admired <laughs> and honored, you know? I mean, you know about the, what were they called? The sacred prostitutes of ancient Greece? Sacred. But, oh, yeah. They, they would... Um, every woman... Uh, I think it was like a month. Every woman at, had a month in her life where she would have to go and um, serve the gods of Greece by being on the steps of the temple, fucking every man who you know wanted to fuck her. Wow! So really, yeah. So th- her her sex like was seen as her service to the gods, and so they weren't whores. They were doing they were you know doing God's work right there. You know. That's fascinating. And a lot of cultures have that. Like we talked about in uh, in Sex Town, we talked about the Kulina, I think, who like um, these men would go out on hunting parties like four or five days, you know, a few guys. And a woman would go with them to cook and, you know, keep the camp good when they're out hunting and fuck them when they got back to camp to like keep them comfortable. And she wasn't some whore. She was like a great woman. Like, hey, it's your my turn, you know, and they, right. it was an honored thing to do. And that's, you know, you were talking earlier about, like, how our culture, you know, we repress all this really natural stuff and make it a problem when, like, why it doesn't need to be a problem. You know? I've always wondered why that is. And I, I wonder if it has anything to do with our our need for innovation and for, like, um, growth and for productivity. And if the idea of 
like somehow in our suppressing sexuality makes people concentrate on being more productive and more successful. So that way you can kind of earn sex. And if sex was more free, mm -hmm. you wouldn't get as much done. And I wonder if it's some sort of a weird workaround that almost like um, the construction of this advanced civilization is sort of uh, it's like it's it's invented this path that sort of ensures productivity and one of the best ways to do that is to make people compete like in a very very efficient and ferocious way for the attention of women and if this the attention of women was like easily achieved there would be less ambition and there would be less so in in a sense suppression like leads to more materialism yeah. and it leads to a, a more obvious expression of that materialism like you want the big house you want the nice watch you want the uh, right. nice shoes and the nice clothes and in wanting all those things uh, you want all those things because sex is like difficult to achieve and if right. sex was easy to achieve you'd be a little bit more relaxed in your needs because like yeah. ultimately the physical needs kind of like trump all the other stuff you know like do you want do you want a nice watch yeah i mean it's okay why do i want a nice watch well they kind of look cool okay but do you want a nice watch because girls are going to recognize it yeah well the girls don't give a shit about a nice watch they just want to suck your dick well well fuck that watch right you know? <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know? well you've just summarized the argument of freud's civilization and its discontents really yeah that's what he says he says civilization is the product of uh, repressed sexual energy being redirected into productive activities. Huh. Well, and, I've sort of reversed it. I've reversed it almost like well, civilization is sort of engineered. Yeah. Right? Cause it, because it's the result of that, it wants to continue and amplify that. Like mm. any system wants to, you know, persist. Right. So because it's the result of that, then there are in built-in mechanisms for perpetuating that cycle of repression, redirection, you know, dangling the carrot. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if capitalism could stop us from breathing and then charge us for air, they would. Oh yeah, right? they're doing it with water right if now. They could figure out how to get that wind farm guy. Like you're 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 using our air. Yeah, exactly. And you're making money off. Exactly. I'll see how that's right. Well, I mean, they've done it with land, mm -hmm. right? You think yeah. about it. Like no one had to pay for land before. Mm. No one had to pay for shelter. That was free. Well, have you ever heard the argument about public lands? I mean, there's a real issue right now with this Chris Ryan fuck. Not Chris Ryan. Uh, Paul Ryan. Excuse me. You're, you're the nice. You're, <laughs> you're the nice Ryan. Which which Chris Ryan? Paul Ryan is not in my phone. Um, but that. That um, in 2013, he had proposed selling off public land to pay for the debt that our corrupt politicians have fucking established in this yeah, country, right? Right. Well, there is Teddy Roosevelt had set aside all these like national parks and all this uh, wildlife area. That's uh, incredible because we could all go there. I mean, we have these areas of our country that are owned by the citizens. So like you can go to Yellowstone, you can go to yeah. all these different national state parks, national and state parks, and you can go fishing, you can go fucking kayaking, you can go camping. And there's politicians that have proposed selling off all this potentially very valuable land to large corporations to pay off a lot of the tax debt or the um, 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 deficit debt. Uh, the problem with that is, is first of all, it's never going to pay it off because we, we owe fucking trillions of dollars. Like they, they, they tried to explain it that if every man, woman and 
child in this country gave every penny that they owe, we would st- they own, we would still be trillions of dollars in debt. Yeah, like, and it doesn't matter because it's debt in dollars, and we print dollars. Well, and it's debt to who? Yeah, like who do we owe it right. to? It, it's all a the money, Federal money. Reserve. What like is who money? are they? What is that? Yeah. What? It's a weird yeah. fucking. It's just ensuring that we're going to give them a disproportionate amount of resources and and right. and, and zeros and and we already ones. do. And we I do. mean that public yeah. land is leased to mining companies for nothing. Yeah. Right. Not, not nowhere near market value. That's another thing that the right like almost universally does. They almost universally support big businesses that impede on public lands and frack and do a lot of things that are potentially damaging to the environment and they they're very submissive of that. They're very submissive. Oh, what a few pe- a few a few wells get tainted. A few a few lands get yeah. poisoned. There's a few areas where there's a spill. There's invi- but it's this weird sort of agreement. There's an agreement with a lot of like very confirmed right-wing people that you're going to be religious, you're going to thank God, you're going to like whether or not you believe it or not. You're going you want to align yourself with these people, you have to be openly religious and you also have to be openly dismissive of environmental concerns. Right. There's like this weird thing and oftentimes it's amongst people that are not even wealthy. Not only are they not wealthy, they have no potential to be wealthy. Joe the plumber. Fucking uh, soldiers, man. There's this fucking guy I do jujitsu with who's a he seems like a nice guy. But uh, we we're having this conversation once about global warming. And he starts going off about these people that believe in global warming and that go- he's just real right wing. He's a soldier, you know. And he's like, like there's a natural cycle. It's always been like, are you a climate scientist? Like, how are you so confident? Do you know, like, there's like thousands of scientists that have been studying this for decades and they're convinced yeah. that there's some shit going down and that it has a direct relationship whatever percentage that relationship is whether it's five percent or six percent or one percent but there is a relationship between modern industrialized civilization and the warming of the planet like they believe this is scientists that have looked at the data and say well maybe there's some cycle going on but that cycle may in fact be accentuated by human beings in our activity and we might be speeding this up along and it might have this effect that is like uh, like this effect where like like there's there's some concern about the polar ice caps have you heard that concern that as they melt they create pools and as those pools reflect water Mm. it exacerbates the situation and everything goes in this exponential rate and it starts instead of looking at it like oh we're losing yeah there's tipping points instead of we're losing x amount of feet per year well then well actually once it hits this area and then comes water and then the water reflects light then it gets even warmer then everything gets crazy and then you're you're you know then there's going to come a point in time where you're fucked I mean, one need not look very far to find underwater civilization evidence. Right. You know, there, I mean, there, there, there was this, um, there's, there's been a bunch of them that they found recently where they, you know, they go like near coastal cities and they're out, you know, scuba diving and they go, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And they find like, oh, well, 5,000 years ago, this was a city. Yeah. And now it's underwater. Sea level is about 300 feet higher than it was 12,000 years ago. Yeah. I mean, there's some, yeah. I'm sure there's all sorts of reasons for that. And I'm sure that's not, that has nothing to do with industrialized civilization. Well, that's because, because of the ice age. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I mean, there's no there's no question. They, they understand the mechanism mm-hmm. perfectly of yeah. what's happening. But I'm with you. I think the the... I think it's already too late, honestly. And see, that's their next argument. That's the argument that I can't really argue with because I think they're right. That, well, it's too late 
you know, See, because the methane, that's what mm-hmm. I'm worried about. You know about the methane? Yeah, from cow farts and shit? No, no, in the bottom of the ocean. Oh, right. right, and, right. and methane is much, uh, has a much greater impact than CO2, than carbon. And what is that from the bottom of the ocean? What's the so, cause of that? Um, well, it's, it's Human waste? the same thing as the cow shit. It's, uh, no, it's um, plant material uh-huh. that sediment, you know, settled to the bottom a long time ago. And then because the temperature's very cold, it's frozen, so it's sealed in. And as the warmer water comes over and melts that ice, like permafrost is also happening in the Arctic. The permafrost is melting. So all the shit that's been sealed under ice is now coming up. Oh, and geez. it's all decomposing plant material, so it's full of methane. Well, there was an uh, article that I tweeted the other day that's even more terrifying. They were talking about the potential for long frozen viruses and bacteria ah. that we cannot control and that we don't have any immunity that's interesting yeah being released yeah. as global warming sort of washes over these fucking dead wool mammoth carcasses and shit yeah. some saber-toothed tiger got saber-toothed tiger aids and it's gonna just get blown off like <laughs> like dandelions in the in the breeze it's gonna well, fly up your nose. And, like, I mean, you know, it's completely unsustainable. The population growth. I, I, there's a cool thing. I've got this on Reddit. Uh, there's a tangentially speaking page where people talk about the podcast and whatever friends of mine and stuff. So there's a thing right now about uh, you, where the guy's like, "Look, Joe Rogan lives the perfect life, right? It's the perfect blend of of 21st century technology and." primordial uh you know life patterns you know he kills his own meat he has chickens he lives near a city but he's got land and space you know he's like so they he sort of delineated all these things uh about your life and he's like how can everyone live that way we need to make a world where everyone lives like joe rogan (laughs) well i don't think i could ever live like this if a city didn't exist i don't think i could live like i mean i'd have to be off the grid, right? So if I'm off the grid and I'm going to live the way I'm, I live, I would have to figure out a way to make a living. So I'd have right. to have the kind of resources that I have, which are really dependent upon a city. And technology. And technology. The, and yeah. the internet. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it really isn't possible. Like, right. It's not possible for everybody to live the way I'm living. Not if there are 7 billion of us. Right. Right? Even, not if there's 20 million in Los Angeles. Right. Just in this city. I'm a yeah. fucking unique parasite. Yeah. I'm outside. Well, what I'm saying is, like, if, if I think the key is dramatic reduction of population, because mm-hmm. we've got the technology. Right? right, and we understand how reproduction works, so we could stop having babies if we want to. What do you think of the argument that as technology increases and as people become more and more um, centrally located in cities, and uh, that's happening in all these urban areas, and these, these that the people will be more concerned with their careers, and that I've read that there is a concern that the population will actually decrease dramatically. Because as people become more concerned with their careers and more ingrained in the, the civilized urban life, that they'll be less and, likely, less and less likely to breed. Well, it's well documented that as women get more education and enter the workforce, their fertility decreases. They also become more, they have more testosterone, right? I don't know. I, yeah. I, I'm not familiar with that. But they definitely have less kids, fewer kids, mm-hmm. and they wait later in life to start having kids and all that. And they grow dicks, right? <laughs> they become like men and mean. Maybe, maybe mean. a little. They maybe start mustaches. 
Um, um, but I, no, that's great. I mean, because yeah. I mean, we're not. I'm not talking about you know Carly Fiorina. I'm talking about women in Pakistan, right, right who have right. absolutely no power or anything. So as they get educated and have more access to resources and so on, they'll have fewer kids. And a lot of places in the world right now, population growth is below zero. Japan, yeah, Spain, same. France, you know, the Nordic countries, mm -hmm. which is why the whole migration thing is there's a bit of a, a like a, a bait and switch going on there because they're complaining that they don't want immigrants, but they know they need immigrants because there aren't enough young people to support the old people. That's so strange. Yeah. Well, the so. problem is they, they're getting immigrants, and a lot of times these immigrants have like these really extreme cultural values. And, right. I mean, they have a, a, and no a serious education. issue yeah. with you know different religious factions battling it out in all these European countries now. Yeah. You know, there's a giant Muslim population in France, yeah. and you know, have you ever seen that video where this guy walks around Paris dressed as a uh, a Jew, like very obvious Jewish person, and he walks through these Arab neighborhoods and just gets fucking yelled yelled at no. and scream oh it's horrible to the mm -hmm. anti-semitism and uh, i asked uh, ari about it and he's like it's been you know pretty well documented that a lot of these places that have uh, allowed uh, pretty much anyone to immigrate to that they develop these communities and in these communities they you know essentially hold on to some of the worst aspects of wherever they're from yeah. and it's only part of the communities but if you go through those parts of those communities you're going to find those people yeah sure yeah it's it's a tough one because i mean i'm generally you know pretty open to immigration i'm an immigrant most of the time sure you know my grandparents are immigrants yeah. anybody who's not open to immigration in America. It's like, well, where the fuck do you think you came from? Yeah. You know? Even well, if, I mean, in my case, I live in Spain. Even know? Native Americans. They came down the Bering Strait from Siberia, you know? Yeah. I mean, Although that's being questioned, too. Yeah. They're finding, they found uh, ruins in South America that are about 40,000 years old, I Whoa. believe, in Chile. I might I might be overestimating that, but I think that's what it is. 40,000? Right. So that, there's shit. no way that was Bering Strait, yeah. right? So now they're thinking, well, Boats. like I was saying earlier about the diaspora from Africa, it seems it's much more complicated than the story of Bering Strait and then spreading out from there. Because, yeah, they came over in boats. Well, that was always an issue with the Olmec people, right? Was it the Olmec, I believe it was, that they have these ancient uh, heads that they found uh, in South America? That like have the African Maori. features. They have very African right. features, very thick lips and wide noses, and they think Yeah, like, it's Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen yeah, some of those. Yeah, and yeah. they think that it's very possible that well, this is all Graham Hancock's area of expertise, and him and uh, Randall Carlson will be on on the 19th, and I'm- Really psyched about that. That's always a mind bender of a podcast. But um, <laughs> Randall Carlson, he's the meteor strike yeah. guy. Yeah. Oh, he fucking freaks me out. Yeah, he, with evidence, photographs, and yeah. you know, the core samples of how how radically the Earth's temperature changed around twelve thousand years ago, and he believes it coexists co uh, <clears throat> it, it, that that it corresponds directly with uh, some sort of an asteroidal impact, but. One of the, his things when he said everyone's concerned about global warming and he's like global warming is a real issue, no doubt about it. But you know what the real issue is? Global cooling. He goes, global cooling is far more terrifying. If you look at human history, the great periods of growth, the great periods of education and innovation, they all came with warmth. 
Mm. Like whenever there's some cold, whenever things freeze and shut down, yeah. that's a wrap. That's the life killer. The yeah, li- the well, life killer is global cooling. The glaciers in the last ice age, right? The glaciers were down to Minnesota, like mm-hmm. all of Canada oh, was yeah. under, and all of Northern Europe, like down into France. Yeah, like to the Pyrenees, basically. They say right? half of North America. Half of North America was under a mile-high sheet of ice. Right. Canada just didn't exist. Yeah. No like, fucking hockey. Zero no hockey. hockey. Yeah. No Montreal. No beautiful French girls. <laughs> no, uh, Nothing. <laughs> What's that shit with potatoes that they eat? Poutine. Poutine. No, oh, no poutine. That man. stuff's ridiculous. That's people that are trying to put fat on. Yeah. That's cold weather food. Yeah, definitely. You know? Cozy. That's- that's goddamn delicious. You're, you, you've, I saw actually. I saw you in Vancouver. I was just gonna ask if you've been to yeah. Vancouver. I, saw oh, I love you, it. Saw your show there. That's my favorite there. city. In and well, I should say that it's my favorite city all year round. Whereas I really enjoy Toronto when it's warm. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> and I love cold. Montreal too. It's, it's hard. Canada's fucking awesome. Yeah, that is the number one place that I would move outside the United States. Like if yeah. there's Australia and Canada. Those are the two spots. Have you if, heard from Duncan? He's he's an Australian now, right? Is he really? Yeah, he just went down like two days ago. Because because that's why I contacted you to do the the shrimp parade thing, right? Because I was going to oh, be in L.A. Right. And he, that's he was right. In... Yeah, we can't seem to organize it when we're all together. But Duncan's become too successful. <laughs> that's I'm gonna what have to I sabotage said. his career. He's uppity. Have him he's hang around with uppity. me more. <laughs> yeah, he used to be available, and now oh, no, Duncan. He yeah. is so good at podcasts and rants, yeah. and he loves it so much that he almost I think he loves it more than he even loves doing stand up. Yeah. Those rants that he can just freely. Go into when he does those live podcasts. Yeah, he's been doing a lot of live podcasting. I did two of them with him, but he never put them out. I don't know where they are. Really, he's holding on to them. Yeah, yeah, quite a while ago. Really, that seems odd. He doesn't hold on to podcasts. That's so strange. Yeah, dude, I forgot to press record. <laughs> Fuck. Don't get be. mad. Let's do it again. I remember what we said. <laughs> yeah, I'll just act it out now. Exactly. Australia is amazing, though. Yeah. I, I fucking love it over there. It's just too far. The flight is just brutal. A sixteen-hour flight. I, I've only been there once. It was because I was invited to speak at Sydney Opera House in this thing they do. That's like the Australian TED, uh-huh. but they call it the the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. Ooh, I like it. Isn't that great? I love it. And it's it's like the anti TED where TED is all like, don't offend anyone, and mm. let us look at what you're gonna say, and you know, let's rehearse this seven times. They they were like. Say whatever the fuck you want. We want people to like talk about it and be provoked and like you know, no limit. Just say Mm. what you want. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think I think that's a sign of a healthy culture. Getting back to what we were saying earlier, where repression causes the problem it's trying to avoid by pressurizing it. Well, that's always been the knock on TED is that they try to control that situation too much. They try to make sure that the speakers all room together. Like uh, Eddie Wong oh, was saying yeah. that, that they made him like room with some other dude. He's like, I'm rich. Yeah. I want to get my own fucking hotel room, man. And, I want and they some busted dude. his balls because he came up to do yes, your podcast. to promote his yeah. TED stuff. Yeah. And, like, you know, and they, they, they pulled him off of the rest of the uh, program. Yeah. It's just like, you can't do that with a successful guy like him because he's like, what do I yeah. give a fuck? Well, and getting back to the other shit. They don't pay their performance. Exactly. They didn't so, pay him, and they made him sleep in a room with some other dude. 
Like it's <laughs> the whole thing is fucking uber bizarre. Yeah. It's very strange. But in doing that and like really, I, I understand what they're doing. They're protecting their brand because it's sure. worth a lot of money now. Sure. I mean, they have a TED podcast and they have these TED talks and TEDx and mm. the website gets fucking insane amount of traffic and they've become a corporation. They become this corporate entity. But when you respect someone, like if you have someone like you and they like your book and they like your ideas, the more they can just give you free reign, the more it's going to be exciting. Right. going to let you express yourself in an uncensored way. You're going to get the full yeah. Chris Ryan experience instead of like yeah. some bullshit watered down corporate version of whatever the fuck your ideas would be, whatever palatable aspects of your ideas they think they could sell to people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a strange, it's a strange thing. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, they've got a huge platform and yeah. you got to respect that. But on the other hand, you know, if I go out and I fuck up, they could just say, well, sorry, Chris fucked up. Yeah. It doesn't have to reflect badly on them. You well, know? you saw what happened with Graham Hancock. When Graham yeah. Hancock put out his thing, they were saying this all this pseudoscience. They're accusing him of pseudoscience yeah. and, 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 you know, this this horrific idea of pseudoscience like let the guy express his opinions and ideas. And it was it was about psychedelic drugs yeah. and it's his thoughts on how it corresponds with creativity and history and, and what, you know, how man sort of evolved and emerged with psychedelic drugs. It's, it's not a unique opinion. I'm not saying that it's not original or it's not not unique in that it's not cool and interesting and in that it's not he's not the only one that thinks this. Sure. There's many, many people that believe this. And this is yeah. a, a common thought, not just amongst people that are on the fringe, but amongst scholars. Yeah. There's a lot of people that correlate and write so incredibly powerful hallucinogenic experiences with changing people's ideas and minds and that corresponds right. to imp uh, big leaps of creativity or big chances that people take yeah. or like we were talking about your friend uh, earlier today that was a lawyer and you know goes on this fucking psychedelic trip and says fuck this law shit <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna open up a float yeah. tank center and I'm gonna be a freak you know, yeah, and be well, happy. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, there's a big thing now in Silicon Valley with microdosing. Microdosing what? Uh, Which LSD or, oh. or, or psilocybin mm. or whatever it is, um, because of the creativity effects. Yeah, right. Yes. And so, like Steve Jobs said, LSD was the most important experience of his life. Uh, Carrie Mullis, who invented the DNA replication. Mm -hmm. Uh, credit it to uh, yeah the PR what is it the yeah PR or something? probably Murray's chain something mm -hmm. PCR or something PCR like that. Yeah. yeah he's supposed to be crazy though he's an interesting dude yeah he yeah. took his his Nobel money and just surfs really now yeah I met him at at TED actually yeah he's uh yeah he was he was kind of irritating because I wanted to you know shake his hand and say hello and but. Every time I saw him, he was engaged in the same argument with the same guy. This one guy was just <laughs> hounding him. And I don't remember About what, what? It was. I don't know if it was like chemtrails or it was like oh, one no. of these things. <laughs> and, and like, and I kept thinking like, dude, just like, you know, it's been two days. You Excuse know, yourself. Been, yeah. Yeah. What's yeah. more of this? Uh, no, I'm good. So, um, yeah, the surfing thing is another one of those things like golf that I'm scared to try. And I don't necessarily think I would get addicted to golf because I find it's the, the, what's ridiculous about it is more appealing to mock than it is uh, interesting to, to watch. <laughs> like the precision and the accuracy yeah. and all the you know the the control that you have to have over your movement, your body to make that ball roll into the mm -hmm. hole. 
it's still at the end of the day, it's just a ball falling into a hole. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. And that said, I'm hypocritical because I play pool and I love that. But I know I become addicted to that. But the surfing thing is an addict an addictive thing that I'm scared of because well, I think I would fucking dive right into that shit. Everybody that I talk to that surfs, the way they describe it, I feel like it would be amazing. But that's a really healthy thing to be doing. Until the sharks come and bite your dick ah. off, Chris Ryan. You just punch it in the face. You're a trained fighter, man. Maybe I need to figure out how to get strong enough where I can surf with chain mail. <laughs> get like I, a shark-proof suit and just got to be really yoked. I tried surfing. Yeah? In uh, Nicaragua. I like how you say that. Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Yeah. Like you fit right in. Um, like a glove. Yeah, it was perfect. Uh, the perfect wave, perfect place. And there was this ex-military American dude who gave lessons and like I ah. met him in a cafe or something. And he's like, dude, I'll take you out. It's great. It's where they filmed one of the like Survivor or one of those shows. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, he took me out and it was this, it was like the perfect baby wave. It was maybe like two or three feet high perfect line coming in at just the right angle like you couldn't fuck it up you know and i had this real long board which is really easy long boards are better yeah well they're stable right and uh i mean i'm such a fucking pussy man i i, I like <laughs> after like doing the push-up and get up on it you uh -huh. know like 20 times I, like my arms were shaking and like my knees were shaking and mm. you know i'm not in great physical condition and finally i got up and I was like, uh, I'm standing, and the, the wave's moving me a little bit, and then I fell forward, and the board smacked me right in the fucking forehead, and I literally saw stars, you know, like I haven't since I was seven, and I wrecked my bike, you know, like that kind of like, oh, and I'm underwater, and like, all right, that's- You fair. could die. Yeah. Yeah, you could hit your head and die doing that yeah. shit. Oh, do you see this? What's going on there? I uh, I, <laughs> I was with this buddy of mine at a firing range. Oh like, no! Two you weeks scoped ago. yourself. I scoped myself. Oh, I no. had blood running down my face. It was it was humiliating. I've done that. Really? Yeah, yeah. I scoped myself once. I scoped myself once when I shot a pig. Oh. Scoped myself right on the nose. Wow! Like in a, an actual hunting situation. Wow. I whack myself. I don't know if that's better or worse. Mm. I mean, there were a lot of like okay, fat wait white men laughing at me. Here's why it's worse. I, I didn't. I, I scoped it sighting in my rifle now that I reconsider. I had a Band-Aid on when I shot the pig, mm. but I scoped myself shooting at a target before I shot the pig. Now that I, well, wow. that's what I, my buddy was scoping in. Like He had a new, he's an elk hunter, and he had a new Win Mag 300, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I was shooting his .30-06, and... Apparently, I was doing pretty well, and I don't. Maybe he was just humoring me, but he was like, "Hey, I think this is firing a little high. Can you take a shot? Because you're you're really steady today." And so I was like, "Okay, no problem." And yeah, I just like, and it just drove right into my forehead. Well, if you get used to thirty odd six, there's a big difference between the kick yeah. of the three hundred Win Mag. Yeah, that's a big shell. Yeah. I got one of those. Is that what your monster thing is that you took I've, out? I have this? two rifles that are like that. Around that, one of them's a three hundred Win Mag. The other one's a seven millimeter Remington Ultra Mag, which is basically real similar in yeah. size and round. They're both big, heavy rounds. That's yeah. what I shot the moose with. That fucker right there. Where? This right here. It's a baby moose. Oh, that's a moose? Yeah, it's ah. a young moose. It's a, it's, ah. they would call it like a forky. It was fork? 900 pounds and it was a small one. <laughs> that's, they're so big. Where were you? Canada. My buddy shot one the same trip that was probably six, 700 pounds bigger. It was so big. 
It walked yeah. across. The, it walked across the road, and it literally didn't look real. Yeah. Like his walked in the in the street in front of us. Like the it was a road, street, but it was maybe two hundred fifty yards in front of us in the road. Oh. And we were like, Jesus! It was like Jurassic Park. It was like a scene in Jurassic yeah. Park. I mean, we could have probably driven under it with the truck we were in. I'm not kidding. They're so fucking big. I remember seeing them in Alaska and thinking they were like horses on steroids. Yeah. They're just the shoulder, the front shoulders are yeah. just incredible. With like barn doors growing out of the side of their heads. <laughs> They're monstrous, monstrous animals. Yeah. You know, the I, there's an idea that's connected with uh, cold weather and large mammals right. like that, that right. the colder the weather, the larger the mammal. I forget what the principle is. It's skin exposure. Yeah, so yeah, So you have yeah. bigger internal and less skin exposure, mm-hmm. the ratio. Yeah, yeah, the ratio, because... The same animals that are enormous in like Saskatchewan, like white-tailed deer, if they're in Mexico, they're way smaller. Yeah. Like a big white-tailed deer in Mexico is only like a hundred and something pounds, whereas in Saskatchewan they'll get to three hundred plus pounds. They're literally like three times as big. Same species. Yeah, same yeah. species. Yeah. Yeah, that's also why polar bears are so fucking big. The polar bears are gigantic. Yeah. You know, Kodiak bears on... Um, I've been to Kodiak. Have you? Yeah. Have you seen one? I seen did. Those bears? I did. <clears throat> I was sitting on a bridge. It was weird. I was sitting on this bridge. I'd gone for a walk, and it's like a low, you know, dirt board kind of bridge, you know? And I was sitting there writing in my journal, you know, the pedantic dickhead I was, like, you know, poetry about Alaska or something. And I heard the splashing in the river below, and I turn and look, and I'm like maybe 15 feet above the water. And I look below, and there's this fucking bear down there, like knocking salmon around, like on the documentaries. Oh my god! And I, immediately, I had like this, you know, Bugs Bunny image of him chasing me and me running down, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he didn't. Be much he didn't even chase. notice me or or didn't give a shit. No. Yeah, apparently on Kodiak Island, even though they're so enormous, those bears are so terrifying. There's very few negative interactions with human beings and that's uh, one of the reasons why like, some people thought that that show The Hunt I don't know if you saw it it was a uh, show that was on I think it was on Discovery or one of those networks what, History Just recently? Yeah It was Johnny it was, Hughes did that Who's Johnny Hughes? He's, he's a guy he's a writer I know in fact maybe I told this story on your podcast about when he was in New, New, New Guinea and he brought those people back the natives back to London does that ring a bell? Anyway, I'm interrupting you. It does you. ring a bell. Go on with your I'm trying to remember what the, the hunt. story. Um, the, it was, it was uh, hosted by or narrated by the lead singer of Metallica, James Hatfield. Yeah. And it was about taking grizzly hunters to this uh, one island in Alaska that has the largest brown bears in the world. They're fucking enormous. This is Kodiak. Kodiak yeah. Island. And But the thing is, they're just eating fish. Yeah. They eat fish and beached whales. That's another thing they eat. They eat beached whales. Like a whale dies and washed up on the beach, they'll eat that fucking whale for weeks and weeks. They're disgusting. Look, they'll eat that rotten, stinky whale. They like it be- rotten. Yeah, because it's easier to digest. Yeah. French. Yeah. They just get yeah, like cheese. Like the that's, fromage. That's why you can play dead with grizzlies, but not black bears. Really? Yeah. You can't play dead with black bears? Well, what I've... You know, look it up. <laughs> they just start I got to be careful you? what bullshit I come up with here. Yeah, what I've been told is that black bears just eat you fresh. Grizzly bears will throw some dirt over you and come back a week later because they like it rotten. That makes sense unless they're super hungry at the yeah. time yeah. and they just gorge your guts and then slowly. Like that's one of the things they do is they always eat the guts first. And women, you know about the thing with women? They go with the pussy? If they're having a period. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, it's really a terrible way to die. Disgusting. Pussy first. With a bare head. Yeah, you've seen the, the, that movie, uh, Grizzly Man. I love that That's movie. That's a great movie. That is one of my favorite unintentional comedies ever. <laughs> I swear to God, I think Werner Herzog, I would love to get drunk with that guy oh, and ask yeah. him, come yeah. on, man, you knew you were being funny when have you made you that movie. Have you met him? No, I have not. I would love to, though. He's yeah, amazing. He knows he's funny. Well, I, that, I had that question about him, and I watched uh, Bad Lieutenant. Did mm-hmm. you, have you seen that? Is the, he in Bad Lieutenant? Or no, he, he made a remake of it with Nicolas Cage. When? Uh, three, four years ago. Get the fuck you gotta out watch of here. It. You Why gotta watch would it. they do that? It's fantastic. No! It's fantastic. It can't be. Nicolas Cage is off the fucking rock. He's crazed in it. Like, but is in, it it's as really good as Harvey Keitel? For me, it's better. What? But I, I'm a big Sacrilege. Werner Herzog fan. You need Jesus in your life. I love Werner Herzog's stuff, too. man. Did He's... you ever see him as a bad guy in that shitty Tom Hanks movie? Or not Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise movie? It was a shitty Tom Cruise movie where Tom uh, Reacher, Jack Reacher, or something oh, like no, that. No, I never saw that. Oh, it was a piece of shit. He where did a Tom cameo? Cruise is like some assassin or something like that. Nobody can kill him. He kills everybody. And you know Werner Herzog is one of the bad guys. Yeah. He winds up killing Werner Herzog. It's such a fucking clunky, stupid fucking movie. But he has a nice car. He drives a nice 1970 Chevelle, beautiful car. Well, there is that. But Werner Herzog is an actor in a, a rare moment. But when he talks, all you can think of <laughs> is Timothy Tread. Well, yeah, Timothy Treadwell in the Grizzly Maze. It's pretty good, yeah. The brutality of nature. Have the you seen the, the Antarctic brutality. movie he did? No, what is that? Oh, it's a great movie, Encounters at the End of the World, it's called. Oh. So Werner Herzog, he's like, he says at the beginning, like, um, you know, some organization gave him $5 million to make a movie about uh, Antarctica. And he said, and I, I said to them, I will not make another movie about the damn penguins. <laughs> <laughs> so the deal was like, here's five million or whatever it was. Just go do what you do. Right. So he goes down there and he uh, first he's got this friend, Henry Kaiser, I think his name is. Used to be the Henry Kaiser band. Does that ring a bell? No. It's like in the late 70s, early 80s, like a prog rock kind of band. He huh. quit music and became an underwater photographer, and Whoa. now he's like the best at uh, under ice. Oh God! Yeah, imagine that. And you've had Vim Hoff on here. Yeah, I, I'm going to go to Amsterdam, and because he's, I talked to his son, and actually I was texting with his son while you guys were talking. Oh wow! And uh, uh, his son was like, "Yeah, we'll do it." And I was like, "But I don't want to do a fucking Skype thing. I want to meet yeah, yeah, Wim. Yeah. He's like, yeah. I think he's an amazing human being." Yeah. yeah. So I go to Amsterdam a lot, so sometime I'm going to go like hang on his houseboat. That dude radiates. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's sitting across, he's got this fucking like, magnetic energy. He's like just He's alive. the real deal. Oh, yeah. 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 He's got 26 world records. I'd say when you get over 20 world records, you're like the real deal. <laughs> well, and it's like my buddy who's rich from wind farms. It's like when, I mean, I don't know Wim, but what I've seen him on your show and I've seen the Vice thing and all that, it's not about... Look how cool I am. It's no. not ego. Like, oh, I got to get another record and prove, you know, whatever. Right. The dude's connected to something really deep. And the whole thing with his wife and you know, mm-hmm. how it started is so, like, beautiful and touching and sincere. Yeah. You know, it's not an ego. Like, I saw that film uh, Everest the other day. 
Have you seen that? This, no, I haven't. It's based on the Krakauer book in the thin a, air. That's a drama, right? It's a drama Fake movie, right? Well, but it's based on truth, the true story of of this. Of, I don't know if it's ten years ago. There was uh, a day when like ten people died. It was the most disastrous day on Everest ever, and all this shit. But I was watching that, and it's like, okay, you guys are all climbing Mount Everest. Why? Who gives a fuck? Uh-huh. It's all ego. Yeah, ego. Like. It looks really cool from the valley, you know? I mean, it, it really does. You don't need to, like, what is it about you that you need to say, I was at the top of Everest, Yeah, you know, with my oxygen tanks and the five Sherpas carrying all my shit, you know, and I paid 60 grand to the guide to, like, drag my sorry ass up there. I just felt like, eh, fuck that. But then Wim, you know, eh, that's a whole different thing. That's yeah. not about ego. Well, he also did it in his fucking shorts <laughs> with no <laughs> yeah. shirt. And he said, yeah. he was like, to do it with clothes is too easy. Like, that's one of the things he said. It would really be easy. Yeah. There was a uh, recent article, I forget what publication, but some online thing where they were talking about the business of going to Everest, that it's like this eco-tourist business now where you get all these rich people and they hire these Sherpas that do all the dirty work, all the hard stuff, carrying the oxygen, carrying the food, carrying everything. And all these people do is they sit in their warm tents and they put on their warm clothes and then they go where the Sherpas tell them and they feel like heroes. Yeah. But I used to do a whole bit about Mount Everest that it's not like when you get to the top of Lucky Charms guys waiting for you with a bag of gold. Ah, finally you've reached the top. Now you don't have to work again for the rest of your life. Come with me, this free pussy and cocoa in the tent below. But it's this bit about like the idea of climbing to the top spot is like impressive, but nobody gives a fuck if you got to the lowest spot. Like nobody like, I got to the lowest spot on earth, bro. What's it like? You go down and then you go straight get to the bottom it's nowhere you can't go any further whoa <laughs> you're so brave like no one cares about the lowest spot but well, everybody that, cares that about the highest spot the Marianas spot. Trench a little while ago. that's different that was pretty cool that's in the ocean yeah yeah when you go in the ocean that's uh, yeah, you're talking about Death yeah. Valley or yeah. something yeah what's well, just like there's some stupid chimp thing about going to the top branch yeah. is because like we associate the highest branches with being safe from the predators. Like that's the reason why bedrooms have like if you have a house, yeah, the master bedroom is almost always on the top floor. And the reason is it's like you you want to be above to like look down at the potential predators. Like there's an association people believe with chimps and trees yeah. and human beings and having like houses that are on the top or the master bedrooms on the top look floor. that up jamie that sounds like bullshit to me it does sound like bullshit <laughs> but i've read right, here, it. it's not here's my what theory. i'm thinking this is something i read i'm thinking uh the bedrooms being on top comes from the centuries where people lived above their domesticated animals and the heat from the animals rose up and heated their bedroom what Farts, animal farts, animal heat, body heat. Really? Yeah, boy, yeah. that's Still, an interesting theory. If you but... go to like Tibet, people live above their their ox. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I would think it would be more of a security thing, though. I'd like that, to like, live in a cave. Be, if you're above, like people have to get to you, and it's way better strategically to sure. be. Sure, and you have a view. It's always yeah. nice to have a view. That's nice. Yeah. You like to live in a cave? There's a cave for sale in Bisbee, Arizona, where Doug Stanhope lives. Oh yeah, maybe you'd want to buy it. It's I'd, a house built into a cave. I'd love to go to Bisbee and check that out. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go before Doug dies. I don't know how much longer he's got left. Is I'm he, hoping he's going to hang in there for a long time. Is but, he all right? I mean, I know he's a he's, bit of a wild man. He'll but. probably live forever. 
He'll do a Keith Richards pissing on my grave, <laughs> but he uh, he has hernias. Like he can lie on his back and flex his stomach, and like his bulges, like his bulges in his stomach where they pop out in several places. Like his internal organs are like trying to escape from his body cavity. He's got to get that shit sewn up. No, he won't do it. It's not gonna happen. He'll take uh. care of that shit with Budweiser and cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> He's just not going to. A little duct tape, man. That's what he always mocks me. He always mocks me. And he goes, ah, how many surgeries have you had, Rogan? I'm like, I've had a fuckload. Yeah. He's like, yeah, none. I've had none. <laughs> <laughs> that's like his, his, that's that's his bar- barometer for like who's healthier, who's living a healthier life. I've been fucking... Stitched back together again yeah. six or seven times. Well, and he's I, none. I resonate with that sometimes. You know, I see somebody mm-hmm. getting hurt, some athlete, and I'm like, yeah, it didn't happen to me. <laughs> Look at me. I'm sitting here you, safe you got and sound. by a surfboard. <laughs> I did, and then a gun. Whereas if you're like Laird Hamilton, you'd be out there every day looking sleek, all six-packy and shit, flexing as you're fucking uh, yeah. riding the wave. Yeah, I don't know what it would do for me though. Well, you read that thing that I wrote for Esquire. I did. You know, the um the idea of your your the human body is ultimately a lot like a sandcastle. And that yeah. and that's you know, really at the end of the day, I mean enjoy it while you've got it, but at the end of the day it's pretty much pointless. I mean we well, really you know, are you know Kubler Ross's five stages of grief, right? The you know what I'm talking about? I've heard death the expression, but I don't know what they are. It's good to it's good to memorize because you see them everywhere. the 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 acronym is DABDA, D A B D A. So it's denial. So this is whether you're like losing your job, your marriage, you someone close to you is dying, or you just got like the pancreatic cancer diagnosis. Right? Mm. It's all the same. And you and some people skip stages and never get to the lower ones, whatever. But the sequence is denial, anger. So denial, like, oh, no, there's a mistake. This can't be right, right? Then there's anger, like, why me? That's not fair. I don't smoke. And, uh, and then there's bargaining. Okay, I look, from now on, I'm going to work out, right? From now on, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to... And then there's uh, depression. And then there's acceptance. And acceptance is if you're lucky enough and evolved enough. And psychedelics, I think, really help get to the acceptance stage. That's why... They're so uh, psilocybin so effective with end of life uh, treatment for anxiety. People are facing the end. They take a psilocybin dose and have an experience, and they're like, oh, "I'm not afraid of dying anymore." It's yeah. supposed to be one of the most amazing things for people in that. Yeah, it helps them accept this idea. I remember right. Larry Hagman was talking about that ah, once yeah. in this uh, interview that he did on CNN of all places, and uh, they were interviewing him about you know like like times in his life and you know what 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 like impactful moments and he said well the the last time i took lsd and you could tell like the person who's interviewing him who's interviewing him didn't expect that he said well it it alleviated my fear of dying i really i no longer worry about death you know and he said the experience whatever he had when he was on lsd was so profound that it sort of like relaxed him too, and he had that air about him too, like like a guy who was just there. He's there. He's not like putting on a show. He's not like faking it. He's not. He's just there. He's he's him, you know. And he lived it like yeah. a fairly sustainable life for a, a wealthy, famous guy. He had he I, th- I believe his house was completely off the grid. He had some house in the Santa Monica Mountains. Yeah, I remember reading something about He's that. He's dead. Yeah. I wonder if his house is still available. I'd like to fucking buy Larry Hagman's house. Yeah. Pretty dope. 
Better than a cave, probably. Yes. Yeah. Maybe not though. Cave would probably like be really efficient as far as like keeping you cool. Temperature and, same yeah. all year round. Yeah. You know, it's you can have like grass growing on the roof. That's it's pretty dope. Pretty like a cool. hobbit house. Remember yeah. they had those big round doors? Yeah. On the definitely. side of the Shire. Mm. Well, you know, this thing about fear of death, you were talking earlier about um, making sex, like restricting access and then using it as a lure to get people mm-hmm. to work, right? Yeah. So in in Civilized to Death, the last chapter that I've just written, by the way, I'm fucking done. You're done. From, well, I'm in the rewrites now. But, but that's like, amazing. Yeah. You hit the end of the book. So now it's just about editing and rewrites. Yeah. And but Well, you know, you know how they say like... Work expands to fill the space allotted to it. Mm-hmm. Well, I've been in the, the U.S. for like four years off and on, right? And like I finally decided, like, no, we're, we're going back to Spain. End of December. So the book gets done in November, of course. Of course, yeah. because you have a deadline. A lot of people say that with a lot of things they do. Like they, they like deadlines because yeah. deadlines will force you to fucking just cram that work in. And, and it eliminates any possibility of excuses if you have a deadline. Yeah. I just blow by deadlines. Do you? Yeah, it's got to be structural in my life. If it's someone telling me, Chris, it's got to be done by Tuesday, I'm like, yeah, Fuck whatever, you. that's negotiable. <laughs> but if you're like, I'm moving to Spain in December, all right, yeah. and then you finish it in time. Because I, I got no kids. I got right. no mortgage. I mean, I, I do, but it's nothing. And it's like, well, I, I don't really, yeah. I had this conversation with a friend of mine, and obviously, you know, I have kids, and I love having kids. I love my family. I'm very, very, very happy. Couldn't, wouldn't want it any other way. But I had this conversation with my friend who also has a family and also has kids, and we were talking about this guy we know. I don't want to say his name. He's a successful guy. He's wealthy. He's doing really well. He's a well-loved guy, but he doesn't have any children. And he goes, fucking sad. I go, why is he sad? And he goes, he doesn't have any kids. Sad. He goes, what's it all for? I go, what's yours all for? I go, you're going to have, you're going to give it to your kids and they're going to die too. <laughs> what yeah. the fuck difference does it make? Yeah. I go, I, I don't, I, I used to resent that when I didn't have children. I always resented this idea that a meaningful life only involves reproduction. Yeah. I, I resent it today and I love my kids. I resent it. I think that's nonsense. I think you could have a beautiful, meaningful life and never reproduce. You don't need to reproduce. How do you affect the people around you? How do you feel? My family is not just my family of the the children I've made and my wife. My family is my friends, the people I love. Those are my family. You know, like family, like put it, put whatever word, you know, call it whatever noise you want to make with your face. But what's important to me is who you love and who you take in and who, who you surround yourself with. I have this group of amazing, beautiful people that I share time with. And whether they were born out of my wife's pussy or whether they were born out of someone else's pussy, who cares? Like yeah. that, this idea that it's only meaningful if you surround yourself with people that came out of, you know, your own DNA, I think is it's so it's not just short sighted. It's dangerously egotistical. I think it's just it's bad for you. It's bad for everybody. This, well, I think I think it's it's an avoidance of death. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Like you were talking about sex. What I argue in in the end of this book is that there's also a mechanism built, the same sort of mechanism built around death, that we're terrified. We're the, on, we're the only animal that knows it dies, mm-hmm. right? Homo sapiens sapien, the hominid who knows it knows. What right. do we know? We know we're going to die. So what do we do then? We develop all these mechanisms, some conscious, some not, for 
avoiding thinking about that. Right. And I think civilization is one of them. We align ourselves with something bigger than ourselves. So, you know, and there's all this really interesting research on terror management theory, it's called, where they look at the subconscious mechanisms. Uh, when people are reminded of mortality, they react differently to people mm. outside their group. They're much more aggressive and much more aligned with the, you know, the identity of their group and all that. Um, but so that, that's what I'm arguing. And I think the reason, think about psychedelics, right? And you've heard this a million times. Every culture that's had access to them has seen them as the greatest gifts of the gods, the greatest, most sacred things that we have. In America, you get busted with a bag of mushrooms at a concert. You go to prison longer than if you kill somebody. Think about that. What does that mean? What the fuck are we so afraid yeah, if of? If you have a duffel bag filled with mushrooms and you're selling them at a concert, it is literally possible that you will have a larger prison sentence than if you accidentally kill someone in a street fight. Minimum mandatory sentencing. Right. Yeah. Second degree murder versus distribution manslaughter. of schedule yeah. one psychedelics. Yeah. I know a guy who's doing a that? year. A year for manslaughter. A year. He's doing a year. He shot someone in a road rage incident. <sighs> A, a year. year. A year. And if he had mushrooms in his car, it'd be 10 years. Yeah. It's very possible. If you're in the wrong place, the wrong part yeah. of the country, the wrong judge. And what do mushrooms do? They give you peace. Or they freak you out, depending on how how, how hard yeah. you're holding on to it. <laughs> exactly. How hard are you holding on? Those bad trips. Yeah. Wow. I've never had a bad trip on mushrooms, but I understand where they come from. I've had bad trips on weed. Mm. I've had those. Ooh, I've had some Over fucking... eating? Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you eat too much weed, that's- Woo! Yeah. Had, especially early in my career yeah. as a uh, a psychonaut, uh, yeah, I had some fucking because like we're we're talking about before, they they make sprays now, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I just want to be honest. Uh, I'm a not little, entirely sober right now. A little uh, for the show, I had a little spray under my tongue, and um, they make uh, stuff that's too fucking strong. Yeah. Like Joey Diaz. He's, who's the, the savage of all savages, what he does is he'll take a 500 milligram THC candy, which, um, you know what I like? I like 20. <laughs> I like 20. 20 is a good dose. Like before I go on stage, I like a 20. Yeah. It's not strong. It's light. It's a little fun, a little yeah, happy. Yeah. He'll take a fucking 500 and then he takes a wrapper for a, a cheap or a lower dose and he puts the 500 in the lower dose wrapper and he gives them to people. Uh, see, that's not cool. <laughs> that's not cool. But yeah. To him, it's cool. He yeah. loves it. He loves dosing people. I'm very against that. I mean, I spent a lot of time around psychedelics, and that's the one thing that I could never forgive. Have you ever heard uh, Duncan's story about Joey? Uh -uh. Joey gave Duncan some fucking cookie of death, <laughs> and it was just unbelievably powerful. And he, he told Duncan, <laughs> you know, just, just, you know, how strong is it? It's not that bad. Just eat it. Eat it. <laughs> so Duncan eats it. An hour later, he is at his home in a fucking tornado of terror, yeah. just spiraling, freaking out. And then he gets a phone call, and it's Joey Diaz. He uh. goes, welcome to my world, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, I guess if it's coming from Joey Diaz, you, you should know better. That's the guy, though. Yeah. I mean, that's just Joey's that's, – that, that's what you get when you do it with Joey. Yeah. I love that guy. I'm so, I'm so happy I know him. So happy he exists. I've had one bad trip. Well, I, bad. I mean, I've had crazy shit happen, you know, like 
Probably I've told you the story about when I got stung by the scorpion when I was tripping. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've had, and, yeah. I, and I thought I was going to die, right? Yeah. But that ended up being a really good experience. But the last time I did acid, I did a heroic dose. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. And it ended, I won't go through the whole story, but it ended with me wandering onto the grounds of a psychiatric hospital <laughs> and like hiding. Like a magnet to the metal filings. <laughs> exactly. And I heard all these weird voices and I hid <laughs> under this rhododendron bush. And it turned out that they were the patients taking a walk and they were like wandering the grounds and I'm like cowering under this rhododendron bush, like having cried and lost my shirt. And, you know, I was just a fucking mess. <laughs> I had like dirt in my face. I was, thank God they didn't oh find me. God. I'd still be there. They'd you know? fucking lock you up. Yeah. This crazy bastard. I'm a doctor. <laughs> my name is Chris Ryan. I wrote a book about sex. No, not that Chris Ryan. The other Chris Ryan. Nolan yeah. Ryan, the pitcher? Yeah. Oh, my God. You know about that research where they, uh, this, I think it was at Yale, um, in a psychiatry residence, the, the teacher um, said, okay, the project is this weekend, you have to go out. There were like six or seven students. They had to go out and check themselves into a psychiatric hospital. Ooh. Um, separate, different ones, right? Saying that they were hearing voices that were telling them to hurt themselves. Check in and then spend the night and then the next day explain the situation and come back. None of them could get out because <laughs> they wouldn't believe because they're like, no, listen, I'm a medical student. I go to Yale. My professor, this was a project. No, not one of them could get out. <laughs> wow. So how'd they get them out? Because the professor went. Oh, you know, my God. Because the professor knew that was going to happen. Right. Wow. Because he's like, he, it was to show like how helpless psychiatric patients are. Because even when they're telling you the truth, you don't believe them. Well, isn't that always the case, like, when everyone's being accused of anything? You feel guilty, even if you're not. Like, mm. I've been pulled over before and been stone-cold sober, and b especially before I was famous, and worried that I'm not sober. Like, yeah. that I did something wrong. Like, the yeah. cops, like, what did I do? What did I do? And you start going through your Rolodex of shit that you might have done. But he didn't do anything. And that's you where know? you get the false confessions yes. a lot of times. Oh, well, listen, if you put enough pressure on people, especially if you lock them up, and like this is what the fuck is going on with Guantanamo Bay. They oh, just released man. this guy that just was in there for 14 years. And they had a story about him being beaten, and he was fucking innocent. Yeah. He didn't do anything. They had no charges. There was no, there was no, no reason to detain him. Yeah. Just suspicion. And suspicion is a, a very weird thing because if i suspect you what are you plotting chris ryan you come on my podcast but i think you've got a fucking a, an alternative intention there's something going on behind your eyes i see I, i'll figure coffee. it out i'll figure oh you're here for my fucking free coffee <laughs> you know like when people start like yeah. accusing you of things you start wondering about your own intentions you start like mm -hmm. We exist in some sort of a strange state where we're constantly in, in seeking approval. We, we seek approval from each other. Yeah. And we, we like to live in at least a, some somewhat of a state of harmony with our neighbors and our friends and our community. And when someone is pointing to you at being a disruptor of harmony in some way, shape or form, you know, like if you're in a relationship, I've, I've had friends that have been in relationships like, man, my fucking girlfriend, she's always accusing me of doing this and accusing me of doing that. I'm like, you got to get break up with her because that that'll that'll you'll get sucked into that world. Yeah, you will get sucked into her world of anxiety and craziness. And 
you'll become something different than you are now. You'll become be what she's accusing yes. you of being. If, yeah. you, if you don't become that, you'll at the very least be a mess. Yeah. Because you're constantly defending yourself. Like, oh, I'm just going to deal with it. I'll go home. I'll talk to her. Like, this is the, the that is the embodiment. That, that, that is the definition of a codependent relationship. Right. Like, you're, you're allowing her to be this accusatory person. Or he, you know, allow a woman with a man. Same thing. It has, it's not sex dependent or gender dependent. But it's this weird thing that happens to people. When someone starts pointing at you and saying, you know what, Chris, you're just a fucking asshole. You know, you, you just you don't care about anybody but yourself. And you're like, do I? God damn it. You start having to look at yourself and go, is this, is this true? And if someone says it enough, you'll start to think it's true. Yeah. You'll start to believe it. So if you get a guy and you lock him up in some fucking cage and every day you tell him that he's a criminal and every day you tell him you're a terrorist, you're plotting with ISIS, you're a, uh, you fucking put an orange jumpsuit in him and, and then he does want to kill you. Yeah, so he, of course. And then before you know it, their fucking memory is so distorted and twisted by years of beatings and you're feeding them dog food and kicking them in the dick who, who is that guy anymore 14 years in guantanamo bay and they let him go i would be amazed if he doesn't become a terrorist now yeah i would be amazed sure. yeah there's no better breeding ground for terrorists than a terrorist in prison or uh, criminals prison camp yeah then prison yeah you know look at our criminal justice system it's a mess exactly it's yeah. not about helping anyone it's not about reducing crime it's, yeah it's just responding to some primordial revenge fantasy yeah which we know perfectly doesn't work yeah especially for shit like nonviolent crimes which is a giant percentage of our prisons yeah i mean that is like one of the sickest aspects of our culture that we have more people in prison than all the countries in the world. Yeah. There's no one in any other country. Including mili uh, police states. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It's, it's fucking crazy. But it's the land of the free, right? Home of the brave. That's Home right. Of the brave. America. Yeah. America. And you're going to go to France and sit in Spain. a cafe in France. Spain. Spain. Same shit. Oh, I, oh, I thought you were country. talking about me personally. Well, you are going to go to Spain, going to Spain and escape our beautiful country here. I'm going to Colombia first, though, I think. Ooh. I'm going to go hang on my friend's yacht in the Caribbean. For a while, just hang with that dude. See if he let you stay. He's a baller. Yeah, I know. If I were really ballsy, because he's <laughs> he's doing Christmas with his family elsewhere, and I know that yacht is sitting in the British Virgin Islands, <sighs> empty right now with the crew. But and just it, your luck, you'll get on it by yourself, and that's when the pirates will come. <laughs> They're planning on kidnapping and him. And I'll defend it, you know? And, and be then, like, I'm Chris Ryan. I'm an author. <laughs> I'm not a billionaire. Exactly. Like, we saw your TED Talk. You are wealthy. <laughs> the dead is only for the rich. <laughs> that's good, yeah. Fucking yachts are weird in that sense, in that if you have one, like, man, it's beautiful and it's amazing, but yeah. people look at that floating fucking thing, and that's a bank. It's like a floating bank. Inside of it, there's money. You just got to figure out how to extract it. And if you can grab one of those people that's inside of it and take them and whisk them away yeah. and then contact the other people and say, hey, you got to give me some of that money if you want one of these people back. But on the other hand, a yacht this big, if you take someone off that yacht, you're going to have some serious guys coming looking for you. It's mm. not like a couple old people on a sailboat. Yeah, but if you're in like Mexico, they can't find El Chapo. You can't get to El Chapo. How are you gonna? Yeah, you do buy that shit about El Chapo and the tunnel. I don't buy that. What? Is, what do you mean? You don't buy it. I, I don't believe he escaped through the tunnel. Why is that? Because you don't look. He's world famous for being the dude who builds tunnels. Okay, well before they caught him. He. Right? I didn't know he was famous for being a dude oh, yeah, who built tunnels. Oh yeah, he's the dude who has all these tunnels under the the border. With the train oh, tracks right, and course, all that, right? So course, that's how yeah. he's like this major smuggler, right? Right. So he's the tunnel dude. 
And he's got all these teams of engineers who are great at building tunnels, and they're always finding them in San Diego and all this, right? Mm -hmm. So you finally catch the dude after he's already escaped, right, from the other one five years ago or whatever that was. You finally catch the dude again. You put him in the most secure prison in Mexico, number one supermax Mexican prison. And dudes are building a tunnel with power tools into the prison and you don't hear it and don't expect it and don't think about it. And they're like at some fucking construction site a mile outside of the wall of the prison. Then you're not checking that bullshit. Give me a fucking break. This guy paid off. The prison guards, that's why they're all arrested now, paid off the the head of the prison, paid off the senators and the governors and the, probably the president, and then they built the tunnel to make give a viable story for the dipshits to like us to listen to and say, oh, he escaped through the tunnel. No, he didn't. He walked out the fucking front door and got into a limo. Give me a break. But no, they need the tunnel. He definitely got out through the tunnel. Ah. Like There's video of it. There's security video, but I agree with you oh, who'd that on all come the other from? aspects Where, who, of it. Who gave us the security video of him going behind that little wall and crouching yeah. down and disappearing? Who gave but us that video? But it took a year to get him through, through the tunnel. I mean, the tunnel exists. Yeah, I mean, it exists as a story. Oh, that's so strange. You're a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> that's the dumbest conspiracy ever. The actual <laughs> tunnel know. exists. But that doesn't mean he, he used it. That means it exists so that we'll say, oh, he got out through the tunnel. What a Then we won't look at all the people he paid off. I feel like I'm talking to Eddie Bravo. This is, this is crazy. <laughs> of course, he's, he paid off some people, but I think he paid off some people to allow him to build a tunnel. I think that's the Occam's razor point of view. Yeah, I don't think so. I think the Occam's <laughs> razor point of view is with the amount of corruption that we know exists in the Mexican government, mm -hmm. that he paid people off. The guy's got billions of dollars. He paid people off. They said, okay, but we got to like come up with some cover story. We can't just you know let you walk out the front door because then it's obvious that you paid us off. Because there's no other you know, explanation. So we make up this story of how, oh, well, okay, have them build a tunnel. That'll take a couple of months. Fine. They build the tunnel. We say, you went out through the tunnel. We'll leave this fucking evidence and whatever, the little motorbike and all this bullshit. <laughs> and that's the story. That's the way they do this shit. Well, the tunnel is a mile long. And they say it took a year. They say it took a year to build. Yeah. But because it had, they, like, it had yeah. electricity in it. Yeah. It had ventilation. It had an electric bike. Like, he hopped on an electric bike and shot down to the end of that thing. You don't buy yeah, it. I don't buy it. <laughs> no, in Mexico, you just fucking pay people off. That's the way it works. The securest building in Mexico, that is like saying the prettiest gorilla. <laughs> you know, the secure, <laughs> the most secure prison in Mexico. Yeah. Mexican prisons are pretty cool, actually. If Why you're going to go to prison, Mexico is a good place. If you Why have a little that? money. Oh, if you have money. If you have a little money. You don't need a lot. But like, because uh, in Mexican prisons, you know, like your wife can come visit. And really? stay with you. You can have like good food. People can bring you food. You can you know get cigarettes. You can watch TV. It's not like American where like you're gonna be in a sterile environment. In Mexico, there's a lot of they're porous. There's a lot of stuff. You have to stay there, but your wife can come. Your girlfriend can come. Hookers can come. Hookers. Yeah. Really. Wow. Yeah. Wasn't that like one of the things that they had uh, been upset about him in the previous incarceration that he had been bringing in prostitutes? Yeah. He had like well, parties. He ran the prison. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. But he got out of that one too, right? How did he get out of that one? Like helicopters they, or some shit? Well, they said he like went out through the laundry, I think it was, <laughs> like in a laundry thing. Yeah. Well, there was a story recently, we were actually talking about this in the previous podcast, that they had come very close to catching him uh, like within the last couple of weeks, mm. and then he broke his leg. Jumping out a window or something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they said he they believe he broke his leg. Yeah. And he was wished away by his security guards. El Chapo. Uh, who knows? Yeah. It's just terrifying that this gigantic organized crime empire is built out of the drug war. Because of prohibition, they've, I mean, it's no different than Al Capone during the alcohol prohibition that we Kennedy. had. Yeah. It's really, that's, that's really interesting, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's the same mechanism we've been talking about all afternoon, right? Suppression. You repress it, the pressure builds. It's like mm-hmm. a steam engine or an internal combustion engine. Yeah. You know, create pressure. No release, and then use the energy of the release for your own purposes. Yeah, it just finds a way out, right? It finds yeah. a little valve. Yeah. Like my poor girl with her shaved vagina. The girl from high school. Oh. The little crazy girl. <laughs> <laughs> the poor repressed girl. That yeah. girl was also, this is the first girl that I ever met that told me that she liked it when her boyfriend hit her. Yeah. That was real, because we worked together, too. And uh, we were working together, and she was crying to me that, you know, this guy that this guy that she was dating beat her. The same guy who shaved her pussy. He went whole hog. This crazy dude. But that he had uh, hit her. And, uh, and she was like, you know what's fucked up, though? I like it. And I was like, whoa. Like, I remember thinking, like, I don't even know where to begin with this. I go, you like it? She goes, some part of it, I don't know what the fuck it is. It just turns me on. Yeah. Well, like, that, I mean, that relates to what we were saying earlier. Like, we don't choose what we want we Mm -hmm. don't choose what feels good things feel good i mean there's a i mean this is really a fucked up thing to talk about but it's real um one of the reasons that rape is so psychologically damaging to women is a lot of women come when they're being raped yeah so there that imagine the schism that Mm -hmm. that creates in your own experience where you're like one part of you is saying this is the worst fucking violation that's ever happened. And this guy has, you know, is a monster and your body's coming. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? And And see, I think that's similar to what we were talking about with these little boys who are having experiences that get sealed as a pleasurable experience in one way, even though later they look back on it and say, that was a violation and a crime. Sexuality is such a very, very strange thing because yeah. it's not just about reproducing. It's There's psychological aspects to it. There's sociological aspects to it. There's forbidden things that become more appealing because of it. Yeah. It's so strange what, what, what exists with human beings and that it doesn't exist at all in any of the animal world. This idea of being conscious and being aware and of also contemplating all the variables and that this sort of combines together with the biological needs of reproduction. Yeah. And it creates this really potent, confusing cocktail of ideas that gets, I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's so offensive when you, you find out uh, that someone that you know uh, has uh, either been raped or someone that you know has been accused of raping someone and they didn't do it or that someone that you know has been involved somehow in a rape, like they were a part of a rape or they maybe yeah. were in a gangbang rape or something like that. It's just like, whoa, my whole world's been thrown upside down. Like this idea of what people can and can't do to each other, it's so crazy. It's it, it, human beings like forcing themselves on other human beings is so strange. And then when you hear... How many women have a rape fantasy? Well, you're like, well, well, fuck. Jesus Christ. That's what you want? 
No, 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 no. It's what definitely I enjoy thinking about. Well, yeah. what the fuck does that mean? Do you want to get raped or no? No, no, definitely not. Right. But I fantasize about it. It makes right. me come. What? Yeah. What are you saying? <laughs> like my buddy was uh, having sex with his girlfriend once and, uh, she admitted while they're having sex that what she really wants is a bunch of black guys to come over and just fuck the shit out of her against her will, hold her down. And he, and he said he never thought about it the same way again. It was like, he was fucked. Like the relationship was done. It was like, he couldn't handle it. Yeah. Like, like she just wanted big muscular black guys to come over and just fuck the shit out of yeah. her. Just hold it. Shut up, bitch. And just, Oh, just, and, she didn't really want it to happen, but she wanted it to happen. Like in her head, that was the fantasy. The yeah. fantasy, like when she would be alone, no one was there, she would lock her bedroom door and masturbate. She would be thinking about getting raped, like in some yeah. crazy way. Like that, she wanted that. She didn't want a relationship with that guy. She didn't want that guy to nuzzle her, take care of her, and cuddle and watch Netflix. No, she wanted that guy's come in her body to make some like super potent. A child birthed out of violence. <laughs> hey, animal passion, man. That's, it's fucked that's though, it's right? They're I, the last I remnants about, of that. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't, I don't know. know if they're the last yeah. remnants, but I mean, you know, UFC fighting. What's that? You know, that's animal passion. That's animal, like basic. I mean, I know there's art sure. to it, and you know, the way you look at it's different than the way I look at it. But I look at it, and I see two dudes like unleashing the inner beast. It's hard to argue, you know, hard or, to argue. or, or two women and, you know, yeah. in the case of the women. But what about these cases you read about every once in a while where like, like a dude goes to a, a woman's house at night and she thinks it's her husband and they have sex and then she finds out it was just some guy. What? Yeah. yeah you, every couple of years you read one of these cases where like some guys like he just walks into a house and has sex with a woman and she's and then she's like, wait a minute, you're not my husband. Those things seem unbelievable to me, but I've seen them several times. Well, weirder things can happen, especially if you're in a, a situation where, like, maybe your neighbor has been thinking about fucking your wife forever or the postman, and they like, maybe they know your schedule. Uh, like, he yeah. doesn't come home until right. nine every night. He works this shift, and, you know, and I can just get yeah. in there on Tuesdays because that's when he's not there. <laughs> Give her the dick. I know twins who did that. Really? Yeah. Oh, that seems more likely. Yeah. But there's also a problem with sleeping pills, man. Oh, yeah. Ambien that Ambien. Is fucking That'll dangerous. Take you out. Yeah. That's fucking very, very dangerous. I've had a bunch of friends have some really bizarre experiences. Like one of my buddies woke up in the car driving somewhere and realized what he was doing. <sighs> he had already gotten in the car and was already driving and was on some sort of weird autopilot when he realized that he was driving somewhere. Wow. Yeah. That's heavy. It's very scary because. Someone can d do things to you, I'm sure, while you're under the influence of sleeping pills, and you would probably just accept it or think it was a part of your dream or you know, yeah. or what. But when you're taking something that forces you into that state, we're, we're monkeying with the mind in sort of, sort of strange way. And these companies that make these pills will have you believe that it's safe and easy. It's because you don't die. So if you don't die, they'll label it as safe. Look, he we woke him yeah. up, or he woke up in the morning, and we checked his heart rate. Everything's fine. His blood play. And how do you feel, Chris? I feel great. Well, I had a wonderful night's sleep. Ambien is safe. Mm -hmm. It's safe. Yeah. But it's not necessarily safe. I mean, whether it's safe, there's possible potential repercussions for doing that shit. And one of them is if something happens to you while you're doing it. I think El Chapo was on Ambien. 
You think so? That's what happened. That's, yeah. Maybe aliens abducted him. Look, this this is how, how fucking easy it is to come in here and talk to you, all right? I came in thinking, I don't know what we're going to talk about. We just talked a month ago. I don't have anything new to talk about. So I made a couple of notes. <laughs> haven't haven't gotten either one of them. <laughs> well, we always have shit to talk about. You really worry about that? <laughs> well, I feel bad. I mean, if it's just you and me hanging out and Jamie, that's fine. But if there are a million people listening in, they're like, that, that asshole was just on there a few weeks ago. I don't want to hear his shit again. Don't worry about those people. Yeah. can't think about that. They're, those people are really nice, actually. Most of them are nice. I've looked at- The vast majority. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, everyone talks about how the internet brings out the asshole and everybody, right? But, like, the the people who, you know, go to the trouble of rating my podcast or putting, you know, comments, they're fucking beautiful. Yeah. Like, yeah. if I'm feeling down, I go read them. Like, oh, you guys love me. It's beautiful. Well, you're giving them something for free that's awesome. You know? Well, it's, it's a it's cool awesome exchange. sometimes. But it's a cool yeah. exchange, yeah. you know? Yeah, I actually I think I might have mentioned the last time I was on that, you know, you and Duncan had sort of, you know, when we get together and talk about the future, I'm like the oh, it sucks, we're all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I read this book called Future Perfect by Stephen Johnson, and uh, I I got a bunch of books that I was gonna trash, right? Like there's the Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley and. There are a couple of books that are all like, oh, everything's great. And I was like, okay, I'll respond to these arguments because mm-hmm. obviously I'm making a different argument, so I should acknowledge them. So I trashed Matt Ridley. I trashed Steven Pinker. I trashed some other people. And then I read this uh, Future Perfect, and it's like, fuck, this guy's right. He's right. He makes really good arguments. And they're very much along the lines of what you were saying about the power of unfiltered media that's happening, that's unleashed by the Internet, creating – these emergent uh, peer networks mm-hmm. that never could have existed before. Yeah. So good ideas can spread really quickly and get capital really quickly if it's a you know business sort of or money distribution kind of thing. And therefore, things can change. Like I'm think I'm looking back at every civilization that's ever existed, and they fail, fail. They all collapse, and they all follow the same patterns. But there wasn't this sort of immediate world global mind Mm. and now there is and as i said earlier you know homo sapiens sapiens the hominid that knows it knows what does it know it knows it's going to die the first thing that consciousness becomes aware of is its own mortality right so what i'm hoping is that when this global mind clicks on as i think it's happening right now that's when we become aware of our mortality as a species and as a planet and maybe there's some like radical transformative power in that, and we'll all end up living like Joe Rogan in hundred well, years. Well, I, I definitely think there's a radical transformative power of the instant exchanging of ideas and information because the the good ideas they get vetted out. Like everybody's ideas get discussed and bandied about, and even you know podcast ideas. Like there's some ideas that people uh, you know throw out on podcasts and they get debated, and everybody gets there's so much intensity and so much you know discussion and debate about who's right and who's wrong and it's because i think one of the reasons why people have so much of a vested interest in these things is they recognize the significance of exposing ideas for what they truly are and and trying to figure out which ones are good and which ones are bad and also the repercussions of living in a world filled with bad ideas and bad assumptions that we're all acting on and we've yeah. all I mean, whether it's racism or homophobia or you know, the fucking federal reserve or the fucking two-party food. system all of yeah. these things all these yeah. things we know 
by virtue of like examining all the facts like god this is not the best way to do this but this is the system that we're stuck with so when we're making communities and even if they're open-ended online communities of people exchanging ideas they're still kind of communities like people i talk with on twitter or people uh, that I, I read their facebook posts or there's a, there's a there is a community to that because we are exchanging information we all communicating with each other right and there's a community that comes with podcasts as well i mean the the, the people People that are listening to this right now, the millions of people that will get a hold of this conversation, they're a part of a community. And whether or not they agree or disagree or hate or love, they're still in somehow or another, they're still in some way communing with each other. We're, we're, we're talking and communicating and everybody has this ability now to exchange ideas and the good ones sort of resonate. And yeah. because of that, I think we can exchange ideas and evolve ideas and, and, and evolve our own perceptions of things in a much, much, much quicker way than ever before and ever in yeah. the history of the human race. Quicker, that's one of the reasons why I'm so optimistic. Yeah, and I agree with you. And that's what this book really, he really gets into that and mm. examples of it. You What's know? it called again? It's called Future Perfect and the author is, is Stephen Johnson. And like he talks about Kickstarter and how... You know, Kickstarter, two years after it was launched, it was already funding more art than the National Endowment for the Arts. Wow. You know, in two years. And, uh, I mean, I, you know, you're talking about how things resonate and, and they happen quicker. And I think another aspect of it is that until now, the ideas that became powerful had to have market appeal. Mm. You had to be able to make money from it somehow. Whereas now, like here you are, here I am, we push this button. This, I mean, it costs nothing to produce these things, mm. these podcasts, right? They go out. If the idea is good, a million people hear about it. That resonates further. It doesn't matter if it's a sellable idea. Mm -hmm. It just matters if it's a good idea. Whereas before, when all the media was controlled by companies that needed to be making money somehow, right. it had to have that commercial appeal. You know? Well, a lot of times people wouldn't even venture into something like this unless they thought that it was profitable. Right. You know, when I got into this, I did it entirely just for fun. I think it's one of the reasons why it's been successful is that I had no, no ulterior motive at all. Like it was just fun. Yeah. I just thought I have fun. Would be, and we started doing these a long time ago. Um, on a, a platform called Justin TV, we were doing from the I green room. I remember Justin yeah. TV. Yeah, we would stream from a, a laptop card. I used to have this uh, Verizon card. I was taking my laptop. We would stream from green rooms in between shows, and it would just be us fucking around and talking to the camera, and maybe we'd add, answer questions or something like that. If there was a chat. And uh, there was never a thought like, hey, this is going to be really profitable someday. So let's make sure that our guests are only like really acceptable mainstream guests that we know are going to get a lot of attention. Right. Or, and sometimes I'll get complaints about that. Like, how come you keep having your friends or some hunter dude or some <laughs> comedian or a fighter that I don't know? How Fucking come you Chris can't Ryan. get? How come you can't get Obama? Yeah. Mark Maron got Obama. <laughs> you know how come? You, you know, how come you don't get Steven Spielberg? Well, I'm yeah. fucking. I'm not even trying how about that i just want to have conversations if i really wanted to have a conversation with obama i don't know even know if it is possible because i think if the fucking secret service listened to any of the shit that i've said before they'd probably yeah, i'd probably be it. removed from the the discussion but i i mean i feel like there's some people that i probably could talk to that i i'm not drawn to that i'm not drawn to them i'm not i'm not 
interested in it. But if I am interested in them, I'll pursue them. Like there's some famous people that I find fascinating. I would love to talk to them. Werner Herzog, dude. Yeah. But, I would, oh. but not just because they're famous. No. But if you have a right. talk show, like if you have The Tonight Show or something along those lines, you can't do a show like that unless you have famous people on. That's right. that's the whole model. Right. That's that's the only way to do it. And it's someone pitching something, right? Exactly. And you don't get promoted. to choose. That's the other problem. If you're the host of one of those shows and you're a part of some multimedia conglomerate like NBC or Universal or whatever the fuck it is, they're going to bring you all these people. This is Mike blah 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 he's got this fucking fast and furious 47 coming out and you know <laughs> and you got to have that guy out what was it like on the set working with michelle rodriguez yeah. oh man she's crazy first of all we're just like a tight-knit family we filmed this film <laughs> it's amazing and i uh, got a real big thanks out to steven spielberg for producing yeah. you know like all that bullshit it's just the crew is great it's nonsense yeah. it's nonsense and that's all you're ever going to get in these little seven minute sound bites in between commercials yeah. you do the seven minutes we'll be right back all right and then you go to commercial and the fucking tie toyota Woo! Ba ba ba! Abilified. You feel depressed? And then next thing you know, bam! <laughs> new guest and with their new top forty song. I yeah. love apples. And they fucking <laughs> sing their stupid song. And then, uh, all right, thanks for coming. We'll be yeah. back next week hey. with Tom Cruise. We got Oprah Winfrey. We got you know. It's like and the come, applause, the applause yeah. signs. Uh. Kim Kardashian. Hey. All right. And you know you're gonna watch. These famous f- heads say nothing, say nonsense, yeah. and that's all those shows are. And that's one of the reasons why those shows are they 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 they're an old it's an old model. And I yeah. think that model is not going to work in this new world. This new world of computers and the internet and phones and this new world wants real information. They want to know who the fuck are you? You know, yeah. like you or don't like you. You're you. Right. Like Chris Ryan is Chris Ryan. Every time I've seen you talk, you're you. And that's what people like. That's what resonates. Right. They know whether or not they agree with you or disagree with you. They know that where you're coming from is a place of honest consideration. And I try to do that as well. Everything yeah. I try to do, I try whether I'm right or I'm wrong, if I I get it wrong or I'm clunky or I'm coming I'm not trying to be anything other than who I am. You know, and I think we're all in this together and we're all learning and evolving and growing and expanding our ideas together. And I think one of the beautiful things about podcasts is that you get to share this with other people. And there's a lot of people right now that might be listening to this in a truck on the way to somewhere and they got yeah. fucking three hours to go and they're, and they're thinking about shit and it's enriching their ideas and they're expanding their own ideas because of it. And maybe they're adding something in their head. They're thinking, you know what? These guys are right, but you know what else? What about this? And then they have yeah. their own idea from yeah. that and maybe that can become a fucking business opportunity for them or a book that they write or they start their own podcast. I've gotten fucking hundreds and hundreds of messages from people that said they started their own podcast from listening to this. Hmm. And that alone, I yeah. mean, who knows? Yeah. You, you could nail some fucking podcast and that podcast might be the best thing that anybody's ever heard before. And it might all come out of you hearing tangentially speaking right. or the Duncan Trussell family hour or whatever. And I think that in that sense, like everybody has a voice now, you yeah. know? In some yeah. really unique way that never existed before. And what you were saying about like the guy in the truck, as you were saying that, I was thinking one of the things that I really, like we were earlier talking about uh, Radio Lab, and I, I said I was sort of, I found it sort of annoying how produced it is. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that's cool about your show, my show, Duncan's show, these conversational shows that aren't highly produced and edited, is that that guy in the truck, he's listening to us have a conversation in real time. So it's really easy for him to imagine himself participating in it. Right. 
Whereas if you're listening to something where everything's cut and real tight and, you know, controlled, you can't insert yourself into that world Mm. because that's not a real world. Maybe that's why I like Radio Lab is because I'm so used to this and I do this so often. I'm doing this three times, sometimes four times. I mean, right. Even we've done five a week on some weeks that when yeah. I go to something like Radio Lab, I could just sit down and absorb the information. And also because I think it's so good. It's great. There's Their so subject much, matter is amazing. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But I could see your point. Like sometimes it annoys me when they edit, like someone's in the middle of talking and then they'll explain in a paraphrased way what that guy actually wound up saying. Well, how about you let him say it? Right. Like, why do you have to chime in? Are we missing 10, 15 seconds of yeah. his explanation? Is it too verbose? Like, why, why you got to cut in? Yeah. But they're doing it because they kind of like doing that. They like being clever with the sound, which yeah. that's their art. I mean, yeah, they're creating sure. this thing. Like, my one of my all-time favorites is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. Oh, it's amazing. Did you, it's have great. you heard the newest one? Uh-uh. Oh, good Lord. No. It, it might be his best ever. Like a week just ago. out. What, what's just it about? Out, about the Assyrians. Oh, uh-huh. my God. Oh, my God. It's good. He's great. Oh, he's the best. And you've had him on your yes, show, right? Yeah. I love that guy. He's a fucking national treasure. He makes <laughs> yes. people think about history in, in a way it's exciting and it's 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 uh, you could digest it. You know? Yeah, I was I was uh, taking a walk the other day and I was listening to one of his um, the series about World War One. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, it's amazing. Pro- something of doom. Yeah, Ooh. um, no, um, that prophets of doom. I think was the one about. Um, here, I'll pull it. It's like a phone. seven seven part series. Yeah, and each one's two or three hours long. But as I was I was listening, I was thinking how. Because I used to think history was boring, right? When I was in high school, I was like, "Ah, oh, fucking history class." Blueprint for Armageddon. That's what. Oh, uh, blue. That's yeah. it. Yeah. All about World War One. Oh my oh, god! Incredible yeah. shit. And like the way he tells the story and the details, the research, is like this is the most interesting shit I can mm-hmm. imagine listening to. Yeah. And history was boring. Like, how hard do you have to work to make this boring? Well, I think there's a difference between his... I mean, it's one of the reasons why he makes the distinction that he's not a historian. Yeah. You know, he's like... And, and although I do consider him one, he won't consider yeah. himself one because he's so humble. But what he's doing is he's adding this the, the, the dramatic flair of a professional broadcaster mm. and a really excellent one and a, a really excellent um, uh, entertainer. Yeah. And he's... He's distributing. He knows how to use yeah. his voice. Really oh yeah, well. he's so yeah. good dramatically with his pauses. And when he and, quotes, mm-hmm. you know, he changes his voice. Yeah, it's <laughs> fucking good. The new one's even better than the other ones. I think he's getting better. Yeah, scary to as that, that sounds. And Daniele Bolelli yes. now is in the ring. That's history yeah, on fire. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was to just the first here. One. He was yeah, just here on Friday. Ago, yeah. Fucking love that guy, and his new podcast is really excellent too. The, the beginning, the first one, is just like so. It's about a story and. Uh, that he had actually told me on the podcast, and I remember saying, "What the? the f- it's the I don't want to explain. Yeah, I don't want to explain it to anybody because yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to blow any of the suspense and the craziness of the first story. But not zero, zero, which is kind of when he's explaining it. But episode one, yeah. fuck that story is so twisted. <laughs> when you find out what people were capable of doing to yeah. each other just a few hundred, a thousand, two thousand years ago, dude. Right now we're blowing up people in Yemen. Oh, yeah. I mean, and they say only ten percent of the people who get blown up are the ones we're aiming at oh yeah 90 percent are innocent bystanders yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean this with drones in, in this book i'm i'm all, almost finished with now the argument is that civilization is sick right C- civilization itself is a sick system 
um, partly because it's built on the repression of natural urges and then, you know, all this distortion and all that. So when you look at like all these stories that, you know, people are talking about, World War One, we don't even know what they're fighting about, right. you know, and they're poisoning each other and they're blowing shit up and they're destroying the landscape and it's dropping tons of munitions and all this shit. And uh, or Columbus, when Columbus landed, you know, he fucking, you know, the letter he wrote back to the queen uh, when he first landed in Hispaniola was like, these people are so beautiful and they're so generous. If you express admiration for anything, they just give it to you. And there's food everywhere and fish everywhere and fruit and they're beautiful. They swim and they're half naked and they're lovely, lovely people. Uh, with 50 soldiers, we can enslave the entire population. It's like, oh, who's civilized here? Yeah. You know, the guy who's like, fuck you. And he's cutting off people's hands because they're not bringing them enough gold. Yeah. And there is no gold. And then they're setting the dogs on them and watching them rip their guts out and slamming babies against trees. Yeah. Uh, we're the civilized ones? Well, Give that was all break. explained in really great detail by uh, was some religious person that was involved with that, right? Bartolome de las Casas. Yeah. Yeah. What he, was his uh, position? What would he, he was, was a Jesuit. Mm-hmm. And he wrote um, the conquest. Uh, no, that was the conquest of New Spain was uh, Diaz. That's a really interesting book. That's about uh, the Aztec thing, where uh, you know they went and took over Montezuma. But uh, de las Casas was a Jesuit who saw this happening and um, wrote all these treaties, treatises or essays decrying the treatment of the natives yeah. and he's he his point was like they're human beings and we're not treating them like human beings and then sepulveda argued they're not human beings they don't have souls so we're free to do what we want <sighs> and they had this famous debate at the vatican between those two perspectives like are they human or not do, are they you know do are we justified in treating them like animals and uh de las casas won but didn't matter. You know, my question is, it's pretty much universally accepted that Columbus was a cunt. Yeah. And that he was a horrible, evil person. But how did it take us until 2015 before we recognized that? How the fuck did that guy get a Monday? Well, how be, did he get a day off? I mean, the same same reason the fucking those heads are carved into the Black Hills in South Dakota, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's what we were saying earlier. A system wants, as if, as if it's a living thing, a system adopts the subsystems that perpetuate it. Ah, so That's a good way of describing it. You know, you're an expansive uh, empire system, so you celebrate those who expanded the empire. doesn't matter if they were cunts. Right. Right? Because what they did is something that served the interest of the system. Mm. And so what I'm trying to get at in this book is that what serves the interest of the system is not what serves the interest of the individuals within the system. Mm. So the fact that, you know, people often say, well, obviously the human race is amazing because, you know, so successful because, look, there are seven billion of us now and there were only 100 million 500 years ago, whatever it is. And my argument is like, well, wait a minute, like there are way more um, prisoners in America now than there were 50 years ago. Does that mean prisoners are thriving? Right. You know, the fact that there are more of a given species doesn't mean that that individuals within that species are living better than previously. No, not at all. It's, it's also the same sort of logic that would say, well, obviously being a king and being royal is special and these are special people. That's why they have power over all these other people. Like, no, well, the, the people just don't have any power. Right. Like, there's only you. You're the king. 
Like, right. like, like that's a stupid way of looking right. at and it. And the system gives yeah. you that power, and exactly. you just happen to have been plugged into that spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the idea that this is the only way to do things, well, that's just because we're the best version. Like, if you want to look at America as far as, like, productivity and innovation, and we're the best version right now currently on this planet. But that doesn't mean this is the best way to do it. And it doesn't mean that if we found a planet somewhere that was filled with human beings that spoke a, 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 a language that we could all understand, but they just lived fucking way more harmonious than us. They had no garbage. Everything was completely recycled. There was never any waste. They, they kept a very strict uh, uh, understanding of their environment and, and what they were doing to it and how many babies they had and how they treated each other. And they never allowed poverty to exist. They never allowed uh, extreme depression or any of these things that we have that we just fucking push aside or throw pills at or fucking put fences up for. Yeah. We would go, oh, my God, we're retarded. Why didn't we live like this? We could live like this in small, sustainable groups like these tribes that we were talking about. Right. We're talking about the way they would take care of the village and that everybody would take care of each other and they'd live in these harmonious communities. And it's not saying they don't have disputes. It's not saying they don't disagree about things because all people are constantly debating about ideas and they all have their own unique and different perspectives. But when we get to this gigantic group, whether it's uh, 300 million in America or 7 billion worldwide, there's this massive diffusion of responsibility for the, yeah. the residual effects of our civilization. Uh, cigarettes out the window and fucking poop in the ocean or whatever it is. Yeah. Like we somehow or another don't feel responsible for all that, although ultimately it comes from humans. If we found some group that had figured that out. We found some planet that was filled with people that didn't have anything that we don't have. They had computers, they had cars, but they had figured all this other shit out. And they had just they just said, well, this is more important than anything else we're doing. Let's, let's engineer this first. Right. Let's figure this out first. We would realize that we're living like apes with phones and guns. That's what we're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I had this... This joke, and part of the joke was about, like, if we went to, uh, the, to the zoo or went to the Congo, we found some rare spot in the Congo, and we, we ran to these chimps, and they had figured out cell phones and rocket launchers, but all they were doing was taking pictures of their dicks and shooting each other in the face. <laughs> We'd be like, what the That's fuck us. are you guys doing? But that is us. Yeah. That is yeah. us. That is what we're doing. It's true. I mean, we're not, it's, we're not only taking pictures of our dicks and no one only shooting each other in the face, but we're doing a lot of it. There's a lot of dick yeah. pics and there's a lot of people getting shot in the face. And a lot of it is yeah. by robots that are flying around the sky killing 90% of the wrong people. Well, sex and, and military are the two main drivers of economics, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. E.O. Wilson said, uh, he's a great biologist, he said, humans are, uh, the tragedy of humanity is that we have Stone Age instincts, medieval institutions, and godlike powers, technology. That's a beautiful way of describing it. Yeah. 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 And it's it's a mess. Yeah. I mean, what you described, like, oh, we go to this this planet and then we find these people. And, and, and That's very similar to the story that is told over and over and over again at first contact uh, between civilized people and native people. Now, when I say native people, keep in mind, I look at the Aztecs or the Incas. They're civilized. Right. It's it's not European, but they're living in hierarchical, large scale civilizations, mm -hmm. agricultural civilizations. Right. They're talking, native. Right. Yeah. They're, they're native. But they might not know about a lot of the things that the Europeans knew about. And they but probably confuse they've got the shit kings out of them. and yeah. slaves and all that shit. Yeah. So I'm not so because a lot of times people will be like, oh, man, you know, the fucking Aztecs ripped their hearts. I'm not. The Aztecs are the same as the Spaniards. Right. I'm talking about 
low-scale uh, hunter-gatherer bands where everybody knows each other, n- right. nomadic, right? Indigenous Which, tribal people oftentimes right. that live in jungles and things where jungles, there's a lot deserts, of food, a lot yeah. of resources, and there's no fight for resource. Yeah, because the population is Harmonious. steady. And yeah. it's steady, right? Right. Um, they, you know, there are all sorts of reasons for that, but that's the story you get again and again. In this book, I quote this, um, this Jesuit who lived with the Montagnier Indians in what's now Quebec. And he says like, you know, they really enjoy life and they're not worried about dying. They're not worried about being hungry because they say the world provides for them. They look around, they're like, yeah, there's food everywhere. And he says like, I try to talk to them and they, if they get a beaver, they have a feast. Even if, you know, the, the the guys next door got a beaver and they're having a feast too. And if they get three beavers, they'll have three feasts and they just eat till everything's gone. And when I say to them, like, why don't you save something for tomorrow? They say, well, we'll catch something tomorrow. And they're like, well, what if you don't? Well, then we'll be hungry. Don't worry. I mean, it's no big deal. There, there's always enough. Well, they lived in a different world too, where there wasn't this massive fucking quantity of human beings that are literally pulling everything exactly. out of the land. Yeah. So you need that huge population to support the scarcity mindset. Well, here's one good example of information being distributed and how it's benefiting even the environment here in North America. At the turn of the century, there was a a a, a, a point in time where we had wiped out like a giant majority of the game animals on this planet because just like they did with the buffalo, they just fucking slaughtered the buffalo. And Buffalo Bill is Mm -hmm. a national hero. <laughs> right, you're talking about Columbus. Yeah, sure, Buffalo fucking Bill. That's he's a, what he's famous for. Yeah. He shot him and he's left an him there to fucking rot. Yeah, what they do? They took the hides, right? That's all they took. Yeah, that's all they they talked. And mostly, the hides. it was just to starve the Indians. The hides were Is that like, why it, they did it. Yeah, that's why they did it because they were. That's when they were building the railroads across the Great oh, Plains. Right, right, and the right. Indians kept kicking their ass, and so they're like, "Well, you know, they're kicking our ass, so let's starve them out." Take away their food source. Yeah. You know, it's also interesting. We haven't reintroduced the buffalo. Like, the buffalo is the one animal that if you look at, like, they've re- reintroduced wolves, all right? And to a, a, a great many people's dismay because yeah. they're starting to attack livestock. But that livestock in and of itself is one of the reasons why they haven't reintroduced buffalo. Right. Because people are scared. Because if they bring buffalo back, buffalo are beautiful, majestic creatures. But say goodbye to all your hay, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, buffaloes use much less water than cows do. Oh, yeah. They're much better environmentally. Well, they can, I mean, they're fucking hardy, hardy, hardy And they can withstand really cold. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they have blankets. Yeah. They're built-in blankets. But they eat a lot. Have you seen one, like, in only in Only in, like, a a fenced-in area. Because they're kind of like, it's like like a moose. It's like, how, that's so big. Yeah. Yeah. Or bigger, even. But not only that, they look, like, prehistoric. They're woolly and furry. And (laughs) there's a crazy thing called a muskox. Yeah, sure, in Tibet. Yeah. Well, they have them uh, in... um, um, uh, Antarctic, I believe it is, and they also have them in Greenland. And people yeah. go to Greenland, and hunt these things, yeah. and uh, they apparently taste delicious, like ribeyes, like they're marbled because they're That's so the, fat. They got the long hair, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, but they look like like Star Wars creatures. Like they yeah. don't even look like a real animal. Like this big <laughs> furry thing with horns, and it's running around in the frozen <laughs> snow. You're like, what the fuck is that? But these animals can survive in places where we couldn't imagine surviving. And they thrive out there in this frozen tundra, these big, gigantic, you know, 2,000-pound beasts covered in fur. And it's like, God, it's amazing. But my point was that 
there was a point in time where we had driven a, a giant majority of, of these animals to extinction. Now, because of the symbiotic relationship, especially like white-tailed deer mm. have with agriculture and human settlement, there's more deer in America today than there were when Columbus was here. Right. Which is nuts. And it's because of intervention. It's because of, of management. It's because like these, these um, fish and game groups have recognized the, the problems and have regulated the amount of uh, hunting that people can do, but also worked really hard to protect habitat and preserve habitat. And that's one of the things with these national forests. In fact, Teddy Roosevelt was one, because he was a, a, an avid outdoorsman yeah. and a hunter. He is the reason why we have these national forests and national parks. Yeah. He, and with great resistance he put that in place yeah he turned on his own class yes he was an interesting cat his mother and his wife died on either the same day or the same week whoa yeah he had a really bad week um it might have been the same day but he was back in new york i think he was a governor or a senator and like his fucking life fell apart and he's from this really wealthy family right obviously the roosevelt's they were already a very wealthy family and as a way, you know, a little bit like Wim Hof, and as a way of dealing with his grief, he was like, fuck it, I'm out of here. He quit and he went out to like Montana, I think, and worked on a ranch. And he was a sick kid, um, which is why he sort of like overcompensated in a way with all the macho and, you know, all the mm. stuff. And he worked on that ranch and that's where he really fell in love with the natural world and you know, became this, and then he went back and became secretary of the Navy, I think, and uh, fought in the Spanish-American War, and, you know, his political career took off from there. Didn't he establish an independent party? It wasn't like the Buffalo Party or something like that? Wasn't that one of the yeah. times that he ran for president? Yeah, it wasn't Buffalo, though. It was like the, the Bull like Moose. That. The Bull, Bull Moose. Moose. Right, yeah. right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. And he and John wow. Muir were friends. Who is John Muir again? A uh, great naturalist uh, who wrote about Yosemite and convinced uh, Roosevelt to make Yosemite a national park. Uh, Maybe the first national park. Isn't it ironic that that's probably what's going to kill every single person on this entire continent when Yosemite blows? When that motherfucker. Oh, you're thinking oh, Yellowstone. 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 I always confuse yeah. those two. Yeah. For whatever reason. It's easy. Yellow. The Y. Yeah. That, that's, that's fucking goddamn terrifying to me. Yeah, that's a big one. That's. That's pretty cool. I mean, but these... I love that shit. Did you see that you storm yesterday? Oh, yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. I, li I like when nature just says, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's... Well, that was barely a fuck you. That was like a- No. But for it was LA, like, that was weather. LA, it was like, psst. I was, I was, was. sitting up in uh, the Soho house. You've been up there? in hollywood no i never have it's pretty cool it's like it's the top floor of and it's up on the hill anyway mm -hmm. so you can see all the way to the that's ocean. like where all the rich people they become like members of this place yeah. and it's like a, a status symbol spot yeah why'd you get in there because i have rich status symbol <laughs> friends <laughs> what is it like in there it's cool it's nice I and mean, there are no cameras allowed so like what if, happens if you pull out your phone Do well I take a that's picture what happened other? yesterday when that storm system came in I'll, I'll show you a picture you know when we when we finish but it was so beautiful because it was really late and the uh -huh. sun was like right on the horizon and these crazy clouds came in really quickly and then it was raining and the sun and there were rainbows and like you know the when the rays of the sun come down mm -hmm. and, you know, something's Jacob's Ladder, I think it's called. 
So everybody was like, pictures, and, and all the waiters were like, no photos, no photos, and everyone's like, fuck you, we're doing oh, it. Oh, my God, yeah, it was rebellion. A, it was a Soho rebellion, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. But, and, but what nobody, is that for celebrities? Yeah. Is that what they do it? Right, because no. they don't want people like surreptitiously, like, look, Joe Rogan's talking to someone. Yeah. But it's so hard when you have a phone with a camera, and everyone has a phone. Yeah. Like, everyone's phone has a camera. You're not supposed to pull out the phone in the place. You can go out on the terrace oh. where you can smoke and whatever, and talk and text or whatever so they ask you when you go there please do not use your phone while you're eating can you text while you're eating i don't think you're supposed to have your phone out of your pocket oh, inside that's a, but everybody's that's a got thing. a computer you right. know they have a computer yeah everybody's working because it's a place where you can go and work all day in their tables oh, really? it's like a lounge yeah and really yeah you can get some food have a coffee oh, but I you can it was sit a there all day is it like a restaurant as well it, i thought it was yeah there's a re in the in the back there's a restaurant area but the main thing, like there's a pool table. There's, what? Yeah. Really? It, it's a, like a cool place to hang out. But where all the yeah. like shishi people hang out. Well, honestly, I mean, I've probably been there five or ten times. And, you know, I can't remember seeing anyone that I recognized as being Just famous. wealthy folks. I think it's, it's people in the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of, you know, producers and screen, screenwriters and, you know, and mm -hmm. some actors will go in there, whatever. But... I think the idea, it's not like, my impression anyway, is that it's not about like going and being seen. It's about going and not having to deal with the shit, but still being in public. Hmm. So you can be in public. People will be cool. They respect your privacy. You can hang out and work. You can have meetings there. You can you know do your business there, whatever. And also it's a network. There's one in New York. There's one in London. Yeah, right. I've heard of them before, but I've always thought that they were just like like hobnobbing celebrity spots. Well, or... since you know me, Joe, I could probably talk to someone <laughs> and get you in. I don't want to go. <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm a member of the comedy store. That's the only club <laughs> I want to go to. Enough. Yeah, exactly. There's this uh, a weird thing about being in that sort of a circle of like privileged folks that I try to avoid as much as possible. There's a lot you. of people enjoy that a little too much, yeah. and it becomes like something that they, uh, they it just, it's just becomes something a little too precious to them. Yeah, I don't get that vibe there, but maybe I'm just not paying attention. Well, I'm know. only getting it third hand through people that know people that go there that want to become a part of it, and they talk about it. I'm like, what is this? What? Yeah. And then I realize I can't be in this conversation. I got to get out of yeah. here. I, I feel that way about Americans, actually. When I'm in Spain and I hear American accents, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go down <laughs> here. Nothing against Americans, but, you know, when, I mean, I don't know if I'm I'm resonating with what you're talking about, but it's like... I know that world too well. Mm -hmm. I'm not here yeah. to, to be in that world. I, I want to be in another world. Well, I also think that there's a certain amount of reaching for uh, for things that some folks will do when they uh, achieve a level of uh, financial success and uh, they still feel like empty. So they want some sort of exclusivity. So they like to go to the Admiral's Lounge. You know what I mean? At the airport. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Like this. hat. But the, yeah. <laughs> I don't think they give well, you hats. But you know yeah. what I mean? It's sure, like, sure. There's like exclusive things that make them feel yeah. special. Right. There's like, and becoming. It's a VIP lounge. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to get a uh, bottle service behind the velvet rope. Ooh. Well, that's when you know you've, you're, you know, you're, you're a sucker for it. That's yeah. when you're hooked. People love that velvet rope. Yeah. It's right there. I can't even get through it. Look at it. It's a well, barrier. It's like a force I'll field. tell you what. The guy I was with, uh, he's a really good friend of mine. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, grew up in Hollywood. He's 
right now he's homeless. He's given up his apartment because he's doing this movie about dolphins. So he's down in Florida a lot of times, and then he's in Mexico, and he's doing all this stuff. And uh, I'm not. I hope I, I haven't said enough to give him away. But he's like, he's essentially. I was giving him shit. He's a pussy vagabond. He's like sleeping with different women every night. Stay used, in their houses. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. gross. No, no, they're all friends, and they oh. all they all know he's they, they all know about each other. So he's not lying to anyone. But he's like, yeah, when I'm in L.A., I don't really need an apartment. I can stay in a hotel if I want to. But usually, I'm sleeping with one of my friends, and then I go to the Soho house, and that's where I work. And it's like, all right, that's a pretty good system, you know? And then this, he has this computer, he works there, and then he's off to Miami to do some more filming. I have a buddy who's a, a wealthy real estate guy, and his house is basically a hostel for really hot, semi, uh, like, semi-homeless girls. Like a Charles Manson without no. the killing? No, 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 because, like, it's always, like, some new one that is, is living with them. Yeah. And they almost always have, like, a little dog, and they're, like, they just get kicked <laughs> out of their apartment. No, you could stay with me. And they wind up staying with him, and it's, like, this battle. He has to, he's an older guy, and he yeah. looks like shit. So it's hard for him to fuck them, oh. and, you know, occasionally he does get to fuck oh. them. But, but it, sometimes I'm like, dude, you got to get away from her. What are you doing? She's fucking... <laughs> <laughs> but it's that's what he does. He has like one after another of these like semi homeless girls that don't have any place to go, and they wind up staying with him. And they're usually really hot, and that's their currency. Their currency yeah. is that they're pretty, and but you know, symbiotic weird. in a sad sort of way. Yeah, it's you ever see the video about Father Yod? Father Yod. Do we talk about that? It's called the the uh, the Source Family. He was this dude. Oh, you should watch that. That's a really interesting. So he was this it's a documentary. Yeah, it's a documentary. I think it's, it's called the, Father, Sor the Source Family. The Source family. And so Father Yod was this dude who uh, started the first vegetarian restaurant in America, and it was in Hollywood, and it became like a place where Goldie Hawn or some you know I don't know people in the sixties were going, and uh, it be you know Dennis Hopper and that kind of scene, right? Mm -hmm. And then it became a cult, and he ended oh. up like basically marrying like thirty women or something. Nice. But he was this big, charismatic dude. He was like Charles Manson without the nastiness, right? Uh huh. Check out the movie; it'll okay. blow your mind. I won't tell you any more because like it takes turns that you don't see coming, and it tells you a lot about what L.A. was like in the '60s and '70s. Well, uh, L.A. was like, I mean, the whole country was thrown on its head in the 60s. Like, no yeah. one knew what the fuck to expect. Yeah. As soon as that acid marijuana got into the system, <laughs> post-Vietnam, yeah. or actually yeah. during Vietnam. During Vietnam. Yeah, the whole system went wacky. Yeah, and he was, I mean, you'll relate to him in some ways, because he was like, physically, he was a really serious dude. Like, he was a Green Beret, I think, and he had killed a couple of people, and then he, like, spun out into drug addiction or alcohol or something and then huh. he got his shit together but he was just so fucking charismatic that like people just gathered around him all the time and but uh, that, uh, if you watch okay. it we'll talk further okay. i don't want to say anything else because it's, oh, gonna it's watch really it. interesting it on netflix or yeah uh, i think so I, apple I, yeah it's somewhere out there iTunes. the source family the source family and also that Werner herzog thing encounters at the end of the world okay i'm gonna write that Unbe down, so. i mean I'm, i don't mean to be giving you homework Joe, no i like homework that's and you like Herzog. My so, uh, this this same uh, pad has Sierra Lynch on it from the last time you were here. <laughs> like my really? writing is not. Yeah, right you, here, Sierra Lynch. Is this your like when this Chris, Chris Ryan's here? Pad. Pad? No, yeah. I mean I guess I haven't been writing that many notes. I mean there's other yeah. notes that aren't from here. Oh, well, I'm honored, man. Yeah, you're you you're taking uh, some. Notes. What is it at the end of the world? What is it? Again? Encounters. Encounters at the end yeah. Of the world. 
Bernard Herzog. Did you see the one about um, the uh, the cave art? Yeah, sure. Oh, sure. My God. In 3D? Yeah. You know, I've been to Lascaux in the real cave. Oh, really? Yeah. Did they let that people was go crazy. in there? Only with an official invitation from the French government. Yeah, because um, the people affect it with their breathing. The, the vapor, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a crazy day, man. That was that was a while ago. What is it like looking at those things in person and knowing that someone 40,000 years ago or whatever the yeah, fuck it was. Yeah, it's 25 in Lascaux, but some, so of them, some of them are 40. But they're writing on this wall that long ago. Well, it's like a bull, it. right? It's the like a bison, and mm -hmm. it's like as big as that wall behind you. It's like three or four meters long and maybe two or three meters high and it's red ochre wow. it's just extraordinary because like as herzog shows in that movie they use the contour of the rock to accentuate the contours of the body of the animal so mm. like there's a bulge in the rock and that's in the shoulder of the bison and the yeah. it's fucking amazing but i'll tell you that i mean let's go it's a real honor to be invited it was only because i was with stanley krippner oh. and stanley got us invited his assistant. How's he doing? He's already. He's in China right now. Like, what is he the doing? Dude's in China? unstoppable. They invite him every year to go to China and and speak about shamanism. I think. Wow, he was an interesting guy. I was really fascinated when you brought him in here. Yeah, he's really fascinated by listening to his words. And I'm his... really glad you did that too, because he's you know he's 85 or something. He's not going to yeah. be around forever, but uh, he's really underappreciated. Because he's, I mean, he's published 25 books and 700 scientific papers and, you know, but he never sought Attention. media or anything. Yeah. But he was on the Johnny Carson show a few times. Was he really about oh, what? Yeah. Well, he was the guy, he was like the go-to guy in the late 60s, early 70s when you were talking about psychics. So like he uh... would go on with the amazing Kreskin, you know, do you remember the amazing Kreskin, sure. the spoon bending uh -huh. and all that? So they would have Dr. Krippner on to sort of, you know, monitor the the experiment and, you know, try to catch Kreskin and lay like, his trickery and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And so, yeah, I, I always joke with Stanley that his Rolodex has like three people under the amazing. <laughs> the amazing Randy, the amazing Kreskin and some other amazing. I don't know. The amazing Randy is a fascinating cat, too, because yeah. he sort of set out to try to disprove as much of that shit as possible, even though that's how he started out. Well, he's a magician, as, mm -hmm. as Stanley is. Yeah. Yeah. So magicians are really skeptical because mm -hmm. they make a living tricking people, so they know how easy it is to do. When I did that uh, sci-fi show, we had this guy on. His name is Banachek, and he's fucking amazing at that shit amazing yeah. i mean he did the spoon bending thing right in front of my eye i couldn't figure out what the hell he was doing yeah. but he's super adamant about what he goes what i'm doing is just tricks right these are tricks i don't have any powers this is i can't tell you how i'm doing it because this is my thing right and i'm i'm you know making a living doing this but i'll tell you right now it's bullshit i'm really good at this <laughs> bullshit but it's bullshit yeah. But, I mean, he was amazing. And when he would pull information out of people about their childhood and guess things and explain where they came from. And, like, oh, it was just, like, mind-blowing. And I'm like, how the fuck are you doing this? Yeah. He wouldn't say. Yeah. But, but he would say, I'm not telling you how I'm doing this, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not psychic. This is all fakery. It's all bullshit. But he would get furious when he would like the Long Island medium or one of those shows where they had people and they would tell them about their dead relatives. Yeah. He's like, this is, sure, that's these, so... these are crooks. These yeah. are, these are, these people are shit. 
Like they're ruining people. They're stealing money from people with their trickery. And from is, people who are grieving yeah. and vulnerable. Yeah, come on. How low can you get? <sighs> That's the saddest shit about people that, are, that go after folks that are hurting, you know, like with their loss. And then they say, he's talking to you from behind the, beyond the grave. I feel like he's reaching out to you and he's happy with where you are. And he just wants you to, yeah. there's something that you're about to do. Is there something you're thinking about doing? Well, there's this business project. Yes, yes, that's it, that's it. Yeah. And the fucking it's monsters. Okay, then extrapolate from that to the American medical system, where 30% of all Medicaid is spent in the last month of people's lives. Is that really the amount? I think so. Meanwhile, Jane, mushrooms. Can it up. They could grow mushrooms. It's like, Give them that a fraction. What is that? What, what is it when you're doing a hip replacement on a 90-year-old blind lady? Fucking again, Oof. you know, or, you know, no, there's this experimental treatment we can try on grandma, you know, oh my God. it's going to like all her hair is going to fall out and she won't be able to see, but you know, we'll get $40,000 from your insurance company. It's the mm. same thing, you know, it's so fucking ugly. in that sense, in that sense. And the, the dying people, I mean, there's a, there's a lack of a accepting of the futility of the, yeah. the body failing. But didn't they just pass assisted suicide in California? Like, or the, or the, yeah. the ability? Yeah, to, Jerry yeah. Brown just signed it. I mean, I think that's important too because I think we we put our dogs down when our dogs are sick and in suffering. We know that they're yeah. 15 years old and there's no there's no positive ending to this. But we don't do it with people. We make people like naturally rot away. And I know there's this there's a potential for fuckery and for people that want inheritance money and they you talk your elderly dad who's got Alzheimer's into signing over some will just before you fucking off him. There's a lot of that. That's real. It's a hundred percent. I know a guy who found out that his own brother had talked his mom into signing a fucking new will and he had to fight him in court over it while his mom's sick. His mom is like she's got some sort of a neurological disorder and she's yeah. completely out of it. And he, he did this while his mom was sick. He was taking care of his mom and he had to hurt. I mean, it was, it's a fucking, it's just, it's just horrible, horrible people out there that do do things like that. Sure. And they could do something like that and then put someone down. But on the other hand, like, why would you want someone to just suffer in fucking complete and total agony for the remaining five months, six months of their life so that you can rest easy in the fact that they went out with God or they went out naturally or, under or God's way? Or they went way. out fighting. Yeah. You like, know, oh, oh, after a long fight with, like, why is fighting so admirable? Yeah. What, what happened to, like, gracefully accepting the fact that we're all mortal especially it's not like well grandpa fought it and then he lived forever (laughs) (laughs) he won he won he went back in time now he's 20 (laughs) you know grandpa is getting younger every year it's so strange he just started competing in gymnastics that's amazing no he's gonna stop shaving soon yeah what about uh (laughs) what about hermetically sealed stainless steel caskets Oh, yeah, that's bizarre. What's up with that? Yeah. Like, what exactly is it that you're sealing out or in? I'm not sure what, which way the seals. Well, I want to preserve him from nature. <laughs> well, wouldn't you want, I mean, like, this whole ashes yeah. to ashes, dust to dust. Don't you want, don't you want them to be absorbed by the earth, the, 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 the skin vessel, yeah. to be useful, and maybe a tree will grow underneath them or, or well, above Well, see, that's, them? that's what I'm saying about American culture, dabda, right? Denial, anger, bargaining, 
depression acceptance. Do you I think, think that's the changing? culture's stuck? But do you think that's changing? Do you? Think I do, that, and that, I think largely because of conversations like this. Yeah, you know, I think largely because of people being able to communicate with each other and express how futile that is and ridiculous that is. Because that's the kind yeah. of thing. If you know, if your parent or grandparent is, or, or husband or wife is facing this kind of thing, and you're you're thinking, fuck, you know, I could put the dog down. I can't help my wife die. Yeah, you know, in peace. Yeah. You're not going to say that to anyone. Yeah. You, you get arrested. You'll get ostracized. But we can say it publicly. You know, some people somewhere say, it's, fuck it, this is the truth. Like in the book, I, I quote from uh, doctors. And you look at how, how what choices doctors make for themselves when they're dying oh, versus yeah. what they recommend to their patients. Oh. It's completely different. Yeah. You know, the graph is access. crazy because they yeah. know CPR rarely does anything. When you're 80 years old and you have a heart attack, CPR, you know, might keep you pumping along for another couple of weeks, but you'll have brain damage, broken ribs and, you know, excruciating pain. Yeah. CPR works great in movies. And actually, I quote those stats on TV. The you know the number of people who go home and lead a healthy life after receiving CPR is like ninety five percent, and in reality, it's like six percent. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a funny, it's a funny. But you know, getting back to the people you're saying who off you know sign this and then off them or whatever. The question I have is like, are we? Are we making are, there are creeps who will do that shit, right? There are situations that are really ugly, but by our refusal to openly talk about this stuff and make these things available, are we empowering them or not? Because the assumption is that they would have more power. But I think if you have an open adult conversation about these things and a government that acknowledges that sometimes the right thing to do is to help someone die without pain and the hospice gets funded a lot and all that, I think that disenables those people. It disempowers them. Because then grandma's going to, when she's still got her shit together, is going to be more open about talking about it. Mm -hmm. There's going to be more advanced directives signed. People are going to be, you know, it's like sex, where the abstinence-only programs, those are the states where the most STDs are, oh, most yeah. pregnancies, teen pregnancies, right? So you refuse to talk about it. You just make it worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it only makes sense in that sense. And I, that's a double. But I think that what's going on, now that has never existed before is that our culture is not just being shaped by whatever media is projected for the longest time our culture was shaped by the people that surrounded us you know and that's why leaders were so important right and the tribal cultures tribal elders and shamans and the people that had lived a long life and had learned and you could listen to them and they could explain these experiences that they've gone through and perhaps you're going to go through rites of passages were also very important for that same yeah. reason like you've got you're going to go through something you're going to experience something and then you'll have a greater understanding of the world because of that. And for the longest time in our, you know, in our most recent history, you know, it's the longest time for us, pretty recent, the last few hundred years, it was either books that gave us a depiction of the world and we kind of learned from that and said, well, this is obviously how the world goes. Or then it became motion pictures and television and Father Knows Best and, you know, all these different shows that sort of gave us this idea or ideal of what life is all about. And that's where we've formed our, our vision or our, our version of reality. But now it's different. Like now our version of reality is being formed by conversations, our version of reality is being formed by people communicating with each other. And right. it's just a completely different sort of experience because now you're seeing a broader, wider 
sort of conversation going on with whether or not this like it just even movements that are extreme like like whether it's PETA or whether it's uh, you know, animal rights organizations or uh, uh, gay rights organizations or trans rights or whether these like these Black Lives Matter these there's all these different groups that have like way broader reach with activism that, have, that, that it was never possible before mm. like if you didn't have a guy like Martin Luther King a charismatic leader that could speak up and and give speeches. I have a dream. Like if you didn't have that guy, who the fuck else do you have? There's yeah. like so few voices. Right. But now anyone with a concept or an idea that resonates with other people, you can make a tweet and that tweet can go viral. And that viral tweet can shape the way people look at a certain subject. You could write a Facebook blog or a Tumblr blog or make a short YouTube video and people could watch that video and see your perspective and go, God damn it, he's right. Chris Ryan made a great point there. And then they exchange it and they spread it. Send him money. Send that motherfucker some cash. PayPal that dude some cash. (laughs) You know, this, but this, this, the unique time where we can all sort of, we can all aid in shaping our culture. We can all aid in shaping our view of the world that we live in. That just wasn't available before. Yeah. just wasn't available. What are you going to mimeograph a million pamphlets yeah, and at, pass them out? At yeah. best, you could become one of those people that shapes it for everybody else. Like you could become, in your circle. Well, even in, if you make a movie uh, you know, right, or if you make right. uh, write a book. But even then, the movie is going to be uh, censored by the money. Yes. Right now, you can sure. make an independent movie yeah. with twenty thousand dollars in your fucking iPhone. You yeah, know? it's crazy. Yeah, you don't yeah. even, you, and then you could do it through a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter right. or some shit. You don't need anybody's help. I mean, it's a, we live in a weird, weird time. It's uh, it's amazing, but I feel like we don't appreciate it or can't recognize how insanely transformative it is because we're a part of it. Yeah, I think like one day in the future they'll look back at the twenty first century and they'll look back particularly at the time from, you know. The year 2000, I think, maybe even 2001, maybe September 11th would be like a tipping point because of all the chaos that went along with that. And they'll look at the amount of change that's taken place in the last 14 years since September 11th. And they go, this fucking, this was, what a whirlwind of change and ideas and transformation. And in the middle yeah. of it, we're we're just in the middle of it with our iPhones and right. our fucking you know YouTube and Periscope and all this crazy shits going on, and we're not even realizing how bizarre it is. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if you're how you're younger than me, but I remember uh, in 1992 I lived in San Francisco and I had a computer, a Compaq, and the internet was starting. And I, I was in graduate school, and I had come from Spain to go to do graduate school in San Francisco. And the internet was starting, and this graduate school uh, didn't want to incorporate the internet. They were like, nah, that's, you know, that's bullshit. And I was like, if you guys would use this, I could go back to Spain. You know, like, that was my idea. Was like, this is going to be big this internet thing you know oh, so I, you thought that even then that it would be like a global thing well i i thought i mean i was thinking of it in terms of my own life right because right. i wanted to be back in spain i was living with a spanish woman she missed her family and like we were like you know i, I want to get an american degree but i i really like living in spain and she wants to give it and i was like Fuck, if i could like submit papers this way and the the professors could answer through the internet and we could like do this whole thing and i could be in spain right 
And I remember getting really frustrated that they were just like, nah, nah this isn't, this isn't going to happen. That shows the difference between you and me. With me, when I first got on the internet, it was 1994, all I did was download UFO reports. See, porn. <laughs> I was looking for porn. I was looking for porn, too, but it was frustrating because <laughs> it was like click, click, and click, like, click, line. click, click. Like, oh, there's nice top of her breast. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I was single and living by myself, so yeah. I just would go to the DVD store and just uh, fucking brush yeah. those beads aside like a gangster <laughs> and just either buy them or rent them. Remember the those? beads, yeah. Or saloon the doors. only room, yeah. Sometimes they had saloon doors. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> push the doors apart and go into that, and everybody would be feel so guilty in the porn section. Do you ever it, see a porn movie in a theater with like a bunch no, of old men in raincoats? No, no, no. I took my girlfriend in high rain school. Raincoats? Well, you know, that's they the really? cliche. That's the joke. Well, boots, I took waiters. This, I had this super hot Cuban girlfriend in my last year of high school and uh, we went to a, a dirty movie. I think it was Debbie Does Dallas. Oh. That's how old I am. And uh, yeah, I remember taking her in and I remember just like, it was like, you know, like taking a chunk of seal meat into a shark tank, you know, it's just like all the dudes are just like, yeah, a real one, a live one. There it is. Our goal, our destiny. Oh, man. Right there. Yeah. Did you ever see um, that when Deep Throat came out, it was essentially viewed as a cinematic film? It wasn't yeah. like porn wasn't yeah. really a thing. There was stag films, which were just like these weird, weird clips on 16 yeah. millimeter. They... Jack Nicholson yeah. standing in line in Times Square. Johnny Carson. Yeah. There's a, yeah. There's a, it was a, a famous event. photo of Johnny Carson and all those people dressed up really nice and they're waiting in line to go see yeah. Deep Throat. Have you seen the documentary Inside Deep Throat? No. That, yeah. No. Well, that. another one? <laughs> a lot of homework. Yeah, I'm expecting a report uh, Monday morning, by the this way. This is not on the these. one with Lindsay Lohan, right? No. Inside Didn't Deep Throat. Play? It's a documentary about exactly what you're saying, about the cultural moment that Deep Throat presented and how, yeah. Uh, Doesn't Lindsay Lohan play that girl in a movie that very few people watched? Uh, something that happened? Uh, um, Linda Lovelace. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Poor Linda Lovelace. Because she what then happened? became a tool of the feminist movement. She did? Yeah. She And then she claimed that she had been raped and that the whole thing, she didn't uh, enjoy any of it. And, uh, you know, and then at the end of her life, I think she had, was diagnosed with cancer. And at the end of her life, she was like, no, that was bullshit. Oh, I, you know, no. these people convinced me to say that. But really, I was just having fun. And it was- Sucking you know, a lot of dicks. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, oftentimes people do become tools of groups. That have these uh, ideological principles that you may or may not go with. Yeah. The, the idea of the feminist movement, like the, the 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 real problem that a lot of people have is that there's some women that are involved in that that really don't like men and they're opposed to men and they're yeah. opposed to. There was one woman who was a part of I think it's called Google Ideas or something like that, but she had this uh, Twitter page and you know she was arguing with people on Twitter and one of the things she said is. I eat men for dinner or I eat men for breakfast. Like you think I'm scared? I eat men for breakfast. And everybody's like, what? Yeah. what do you, why would you say that? Like all men? Like not right. even assholes? Like why would you even say that? Like you imagine if a man said that, if a man in any position of power, like and she was, I believe what, yeah, I mean, I'm, par I'm poor understanding of what's going on, but I believe that she was brought in to sort of, um, uh, bring more diversity to this project they were doing, you know, this, this idea and that bringing a pr feminist perspective was going to, you know, 
balance things out a little bit, which is always a good idea, right? But when you read something like that, like that's if even if that's not really her intention, just having that perspective, having the perspective of uh, you know I eat men for breakfast, like you could never say I Unless eat women she means for breakfast it in a nice way. Like come, she didn't want to come. <laughs> I yeah. mean, hey, that's that's not bad. I like women who yeah, eat men for breakfast. Yeah, you know, have some the real morning blowjob. There's the the half asleep blowjob is a beautiful thing. It's going away. It's like the dodo bird. Really, it's almost you extinct. Think it's, almost <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like the wooded owl. If we don't stop cutting down these trees, <laughs> we're, we're not talking about ambient either. Oh, it doesn't yeah. count because then you're not even there for well, it. Well, it takes a special kind of passion, and uh, I think uh, some people just uh, don't have that for each other. Well, and I think when you're half asleep, you can sort of enjoy it more. Yeah. Well, you can enjoy a lot really of sex relaxed. more when you're you know you're cuddling together and then someone just decides to start something. You're like, all right, we're yeah, doing this? Right. Woo-hoo. Well, you do you it. Know? I'll just sort of lie here. Sometimes that's fun, yeah, too. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I did not consent. Well, there's like a lot of madness now, too, with sex. They want, there, there was something they were handing out to um, young students now where they were saying that you you literally have to get consent they were they were saying that they should you should get consent every 10 seconds during <laughs> every any sex act i'm sure there's an app you know yes. siri ask her every 10 seconds you know yeah if she's enjoying this. do you consent to this may i sh- shove it in harder <laughs> may i go faster you know may i pull it back and then put it back in again may i may i rub it on the outside may oh, i tease you man we live in a weird world. Yeah. Well, well, it's America too. Have you been to Spain? No, never. You got to come visit, man. Well, I think even it's not. I don't even think it's really America. I think it's what we were talking about earlier about these small groups of people that have these ideas and they're very, very passionate about spreading these ideas. And these ideas don't necessarily have to be good, but they have to have a bunch of other crazy people that believe in them, like yeah. the people that convinced Linda Lovelace into saying that she was raped, and you know the feminist movement that co-opted her ideas. I don't. I mean, they, they didn't do it because they were calculating and evil, and they had some grand plan to ruin it for everybody else. They probably did it because they were nuts. And there's a lot of other nutty people out there right. that agree with you. I tweeted something the other day that someone tweeted, and it was so fucking ridiculous that it 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 made me go, what the fuck? Like, I don't even know what to say. But it was about abortion, and the uh, the tweet was something like. Um, abortion isn't just about women because not everyone who gets pregnant is a woman. Hmm. I'm not sure I get that one. Because trans people can oh, get pregnant. Really? So a woman who identifies with being male can also get pregnant and abortion rights are for her too. Him. Him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I'll yeah. read you. The, I'll read you the exact uh, tweet because it's it's fucking maddening. It's fucking crazy. It just doesn't even make any sense. Let me find it right here. You found it already, Jamie? Here it is, right here. I found it right here. This is abortion access isn't just a woman's right. Not all pregnant people or people who can get pregnant are women. What in the fucking mm, actual fuck? Silly bullshit. <laughs> but, this, but but that's you can get a bunch of people and go, yes, you're amazing. What you did is beautiful. What you just said was amazing. No, yeah. what you said is horseshit. Like yeah. just just because you think you're a man doesn't mean you're a man. Okay, oh, well, we're, you, we're off we're off in a weird yeah. weird tangent here. Yeah. But that's that's what's going on. Jermaine this, Greer got in a lot of trouble for saying that. You know who she is? Yes, the, the yes. eunuch, right? Yeah, the, the female eunuch. She wrote. Yeah. yeah. So she said that. She's like, look, you can call yourself whatever you want, right. but 
to me you're not a woman yeah and everybody's like what how dare you that's hate hate language yeah it's not hate language it's It's a fucking opinion you know well not only that like god damn it why why do we assume that when people say something nutty that they're crazy in almost every single avenue except for gender for gender would just accept anything We'll just accept back and forth. There's a guy that they did, speaking of Radiolab, an amazing piece. And the guy clearly out of his fucking mind when you listen to him talk. Mm -hmm. But he flips back and forth from being male and female all day long. And they're talking about it like it's this very unusual thing. It's very rare. Normally with transgender, they live in one sex and believe they're another. But this person goes back and forth. But when you listen to this person talk, you realize this is not a stable human being. And it's quite possible they're out of their fucking mind. But you don't consider it because it's gender. If they thought they were a fox, if they believed (laughs) that they were born in the ocean of mer people you, you yeah. would you would say well this guy's out of his fucking mind yeah. but because he's talking about gender he can say well now i'm a man well now i'm, I'm a woman i just turned i just turned so like he's in the conversation and in the middle of the conversation he's like i just flipped like they asked him something un- uncomfortable i'm jack now i just flipped like oh oh you're fucking crazy oh you're crazy you're a crazy person you you believe you're male and female back and forth like ping pong balls? Fuck you. <laughs> okay, fuck you for putting this on on the air. Fuck you for saying Taking it, it seriously. God damn yeah. it. Yeah. We out of time. Yeah. Jamie's just telling me we're out of time. God damn it, Chris. You've been Ryan. podcasting all we fucking. Just, we day, just smashed man. three hours. Jesus. We did it again, sir. Knocked it out of the park. I mean. Tangentially speaking, is available on iTunes. Uh, what's your website again? Chris Ryan, uh, Chris Ryan PhD.com. Yeah. Um, and the new book will be how long before it's all edited Next and summer. whacked out? Next summer. Yeah. This cu- summer coming up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 2016. Like seven or eight months. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. All right. Hopefully before Trump becomes president. Um, well, you leave in December. We could fucking shove one more of these bitches in. Sure. Dude, we could talk about it. I'll, I'll do my homework and we'll have a lot to talk about. <laughs> all right. Thanks, brother. Appreciate hey, it. As always. always. Fun. Yeah. All right, my friends. We'll be back soon. Until then, go fuck yourself. See ya. <laughs>